The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Fired up. How are you, man? I'm doing amazing, man. Thanks for being here. Dude, you're welcome. Thanks for saving Dana White's life. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he credits. He credits talking to you and taking your advice as completely changing his life, and now he feels infinitely better. Yeah. I mean, he did a lot of the work himself. Well, he had to, but you had to tell him what to do, but luckily he listened. Yeah. I mean, I think think giving him a life expectancy just kind of validated it for him and just really put it in his face. Uh-huh. And, you know, because that's something you can calculate. He's like, okay, well, I'm 53 now. 63 doesn't seem that far off. Right. You know. A lot of, like, high-stress individuals that don't take care of themselves, their ticker checks out. Yeah. Around 65, I mean, 67. That's yeah. pretty standard. It just takes its toll. I mean, and, and yeah. the funny thing is, you know, uh, when you go back and you look at the the pictures of him, prior to oh yeah he does kind of look like he was about to pop you know it's not good yeah <laughs> he had a big old moon face and he was you like know the veins up on the forehead and the veins out of the side of the neck thick. what was uh like for, first of all how did he meet you how did this this come about and like how did the conversation start so we have a mutual friend um named carrie Kasem. If you remember uh, Casey Kasem. Yeah, I know Carrie. Top I worked with her back in the day in the early UFCs. Okay. So, um, uh, you know, I, I recently met uh, Carrie, and she had kind of a life-changing experience as well. You know, if you know anything about her journey with Lyme disease and chronic viral infection, I mean, she really she really struggled and ended up healing herself. And um, she took the same test that, that, that Dana White did. It was life-changing for her. And she was like, What is this test? It's a genetic test. It looks at um, genetic methylation pathways. So methylation pathways. Methylation pathways. What's that word mean? So think about it like this. Um, you know, we pull crude oil out of the ground, right? Mm-hmm. But but you can't put crude oil into your gas tank, right? Because the car doesn't understand that fuel source. So what happens is crude oil has to be refined into gasoline, and then the car can run. Okay. So in human beings, there's a similar process called methylation. There's not a single compound known to mankind, not one. There's no vitamin, no mineral, no amino acid, no nutrient, no protein, no nutrient of any kind that enters the human body and is used in the format that we put it in. Without a single exception, everything we put into our bodies has to be refined into the usable form. If you can't make this conversion, you have a deficiency. It's this deficiency that leads to the most common ailments that we suffer from. Mm. So that process is called methylation. And there are several genes that govern it. Um, This is where a lot of the misconception about genetically inherited disease comes from, right? We'll say, um, well, Joe, you know, your father-in-law has, uh, not your father-in-law, your father on your mom's side had hypertension, your grandfather had hypertension, now you have hypertension. So you have genetically inherited hypertension or you have familial hypertension. Well, and hypertension is commonly known as high blood pressure. Is that high blood pressure. Thing? Yeah, high blood pressure. But 85% of all high blood pressure is what we call idiopathic, right? It's of unknown origin. So we say that things are genetically inherited because they run in families. But it's rarely the disease that's passed from generation to generation. What we pass from generation to generation is the inability to refine a raw material, which causes a deficiency, which leads to that disease. And what generally leads to hypertension? So um, if you look at um, Dana White's 
case, right, is a perfectly uh, common case. In fact, the Journal of Hypertension published an article in uh, November 19th of 2017, um, if you want to look that article up, and essentially linking an amino acid in the bloodstream um, called homocysteine uh, to hypertension. And the reason for this is you got homocysteine in your blood. I've got it in my blood. Um, everybody listening to this podcast has homocysteine. But if you have an impaired ability to break homocysteine down, right, to take that amino acid, homocysteine, and convert it into a harmless amino acid called methionine, if you can't make this conversion, homocysteine rises. It causes something called hyperhomocysteinemia, high homocysteine in the blood. When homocysteine rises, it becomes one of the more inflammatory compounds in the human body. As it's cruising by the inside lining of the artery, it starts to irritate the artery. It actually reduces the artery's um, elasticity and can even cause it to constrict. So think about this. You've got 63,000 miles of blood vessel, roughly, in your body. It doesn't take much narrowing to drive pressure up. Think about it. 85% of all hypertensive diagnosis, diagnosis of, of high blood pressure, um, primary hypertension or essential hypertension, are idiopathic right? Unknown origin. Only 15% of them are secondary hypertension of, of where we know the exact cause. And so what we do is we take people that have high blood pressure. We, we run a bunch of tests on them. EKG, it's normal. EEG, it's normal. Heart and lung sounds, cardiac cath, die contrast study. We do all of these cardiovascular tests and they all come out normal. Yet the person still has high blood pressure. And that's largely because the high levels of homocysteine are causing vascular narrowing. I mean, this is a fixed system, right? So if I make the pipes smaller in a fixed system, pressure goes up. So in, in Dana's case specifically, and his, you know, he's thrown his uh, blood work out on the internet, so um, you know, we can talk about his labs. But um, in his cases, he, he had one of the highest levels of homocysteine that I'd personally ever seen. And our clinical team had seen. What, so when you say high blood pressure, could you define, like, I'm, I'm not good at that. Whenever I get my blood pressure, they tell me the number and they say it's good. And I go, okay. But so I don't like, know what, what's a good number. So um, 120 over 70, 120 over and what's 80, high? 130, 140, 150, 160. When does it get dangerous? One, 140, 150 starts to get dangerous. People really? walk around at 140, 150, 160 all the time. And they don't know it. It's the silent killer. You don't feel it. You think you would feel high blood pressure, but very often it's the silent killer because you don't feel it. It's not like you hear your blood rushing in your ears, although you may. It's not like you feel pressure in your head or pressure in your neck or pressure in your chest. That's why high blood pressure, hypertension, is, is one of the silent killers in cardiovascular disease, mm. right? In fact, one of, the, one of the first primary symptoms is sudden death, right? So we... We often put people on hypertensive medication before we actually look at whether or not they have high levels of homocysteine or whether or not they might have a gene mutation specifically called MTR, and you could test for it, or MTRR. And what this gene codes for is it codes for the enzymes that break down homocysteine and turn it into an amino acid called methionine, right? And so if this conversion is impaired, and this homocysteine starts to rise, and your vascular system constricts, it can drive your pressure up. And it drives your pressure up without anything being wrong with the heart. 
So then we start standing on the heart, which is what happened in Dana's case. Beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, diuretics, all of these things. His blood pressure was still through the roof. Um, and I what think, was his number? I think he was 160, 160 over 110. I want to say it was very high. Mm. Um, and it was consistently high. Um, we were actually, you know, our clinical team was taking his blood pressure two or three times a day, seven days a week, and it was consistently very elevated, even though he was on blood pressure medication. Really? So statins? So what he was on? So statins was what you'd use on uh, cholesterol, oh, okay. like like a repath or anything. So, so those what are trying is to a, lower. Um, what's a hypertension? They're, they're, they're called beta blockers like Enderol, mm-hmm. calcium channel blockers. We call it ACE inhibitors. Um, sometimes we use diuretics. And so he was still jacked up even though he was on those? Oh, he was still jacked up even though he was on medication. And what are the other factors? Like, What are, what other things cause hypertension? Well, I mean, cardiovascular disease, and there are certain, you know, direct genetic links to cardiovascular disease, but they're, they're very rare. Um, but diet, atherosclerosis, you know, narrowing of the arteries, arterial sclerosis, hardening of the arteries, calcifications in the arterial wall um, mm-hmm. can cause pressure to go up. Um, you know, um, regurgitations in the in heart valves can cause you know, pressure to increase. But when you think about the heart as a muscle, right, and all four chambers are circulating blood normally, and it's got a good vascular supply, but it's beating into constricted pipes. Think about what happens. That pressure is going to back up, mm-hmm. right? And so we rarely go outside the heart to diagnose whether or not. And, and for the record, I am not a physician. I'm not licensed to practice medicine. I'm a human biologist. Um, I didn't, you know, learn my trade in, in, in medical school. I took eight years of undergrad and, and postgraduate education in human biology. But for for 20 years, I was a mortality expert in the insurance industry, and I just read medical records for a living. So the vast amount of what I've come to understand about modern medicine has just come from reading thousands and thousands and thousands of medical records. And you can see very often that when people were being diagnosed with high blood pressure, they were always looking at the heart. They never looked outside the heart to say, well, could it possibly be beating into a dysfunctional arterial system? And so in Dana's case, and I, I should have brought the numbers because I had the week over week numbers. It was astounding. You know, we we just put him on a simple amino acid called trimethylglycine, you know, an amino acid you can get off the shelf. And what it did was it made up for this genetic deficiency, this lack of code to break down homocysteine. And his body started to methylate to break homocysteine down. And is this a amino acid that pretty much everybody should be taking? It's an amino acid that everybody with um, uh, hypertension should consider if they have high homocysteine. And s- explain, say the word again. What is it? What's the amino acid called? Trimethylglycine, TMG. Tri- is that capital the s- T, capital M. Similar to regular glycine? No, this is trimethylglycine. It's a little bit, it's a little bit different than the amino acid glycine. So trimethylglycine will actually help to metabolize to help give the body the raw material it needs. I feel like I should write this shit to, down. <laughs> I'm going to write down trimethylglycine. He's going to be on trimethylglycine tomorrow. <laughs> well, I just want, I just want to keep track yeah. of uh, all these different things you're saying, and oftentimes I do forget. So trimethylglycine. Yeah. I'm gonna write trimethylglycine, or just put capital TMG. That's what it'll say on the bottle. TMG. Okay. And so, you know, it's, it's, sometimes I use the analogy that, you know, when I was when I was getting my second human biology degree. I was in grad school, get my human biology degree. I had to take all these plant botany courses 
um, which I hated, but you have to take them. Morphology of thallophytes and all these crazy courses about plants. But the one thing that really stood out to me by taking all these plant biology courses is that if there's ever anything wrong in the leaves of a plant, like the tree, the um, you know, the trunk, the leaves, uh, or the branches, and you call a true arborist or a true botanist out to your house, they won't even touch the leaves or the branches of the trunk of the tree. The first thing they'll do is they'll core test the soil. And they'll go, you know what? This soil's deficient in nitrogen. Mm. And then they'll add nitrogen to the soil and the leaf will heal. But we don't think about human beings like this anymore. I feel like there's such a paucity of understanding of, of deep human physiology in, in a lot of the medical community, not all of the medical community. And we don't actually have faith in mankind and humanity and the body's ability to heal itself and whether or not they might someone might be deficient in a raw material, not pathologic or diseased. So for example, in Dana White's case, he was diagnosed with idiopathic hypertension, which he essentially did not have. He was being medicated for it. He had been medicated for it for 15 years. And he didn't really have hypertension. There was nothing really wrong with him. It's that his body couldn't break down homocysteine. It was deficient in the amino acids needed to break this homocysteine down. As soon as we put those back in his body, it started to function normally. And where would you generally get those amino acids if you weren't, weren't taking them? Um, I mean, you can get them online. I mean, there's lots of great No, no, if you weren't taking them, is it, are they in food? Is it? Oh, some... yeah, they're in, they're, they're in foods. That's why if you look at certain diets, like high folate diets, like carnivore diets, um, diets that are high in dietary folate, leafy greens, um, um, grass-fed meats, um, um, eggs, dairy, you'll find that they have lower incidences of um, cancer diets and high dietary folate. So this is a raw material that we can get from our food, but very often our food is just so nutrient deficient, right? We update the macros on the back of a lot of labels, but if you look at the micros, like how much spinach, uh, how much iron is in spinach or calcium is in spinach or how much um, nutrients are in the, on the label of most foods, I mean, it's a fraction of what's actually listed there. Mm. And so we're nutrient deficient, Right? Human beings are not as sick as we have been led to believe we are. The majority, in my opinion, of pathology and disease as we know it today are nutrient deficiencies, missing raw material in the human body. And we just accept all these things as a consequence of aging, weight gain, water retention, you know, lack of sleep, poor focus and concentration, lack of waking energy, hormone imbalance. And we think that the body has all of these different pathologies and diseases, but the truth is it's usually nutrient deficient. It's astounding what happens to human beings when you give their body the raw material that it needs to do its job. Mm. I mean, it really is. And so if, if you're just supplementing for the sake of supplementing, then there's only a marginal chance that you're getting what you need. If you're supplementing for deficiency, that's when magic happens in the human body. But you have to understand what those deficiencies are, and you have to go to someone like yourself. That you don't have to go gonna, to me. I mean, there's lots of people but that someone do genetic like tests. Yourself. But yeah. That is going to understand how to read this stuff because if you if you talked to me and said uh, what's the cause of high blood pressure I would probably say someone's fat they're overweight they eat too much maybe they drink too much yeah those are uh, very obvious causes type two diabetes right um, you know being morbidly obese atherosclerosis or what are the other factors that could be um, obesity. Right, we um, talked about that. Yeah, obesity, well, stress, um, sleep. Stress. Oh, stress and sleep deprivation. Mm. High levels of cortisol. Interesting. Um, um, so slap, uh, sleep deprivation, stress, um, morbid obesity, type 2 diabetes, 
atherosclerosis, arterial sclerosis, but those are usually more sinister and visible. You know, there are a lot of healthy-looking individuals in their 20s and early 30s that are walking around with hypertension, with high blood pressure, and don't know it. There are a lot of young, healthy-looking individuals that are walking around with metabolic syndrome, which is a combination of very high blood fat, triglycerides, abdominal fat, um, high blood pressure, high insulin, and high sugar. But they don't, they don't manifest to the outside world, but it's going on on the inside. Mm. That, that's why I say I think everybody at once in their lifetime should do a genetic methylation test. And the reason for that is that you do this test once in your lifetime. You never have to repeat it. The genes you're born with are the genes you die with. And based on, there's five major genes of methylation. Based on how these five genes are working or not, you supplement for their deficiency. So, for example, one of the most common gene mutations in the world is called MTHFR. It's called a motherfucker gene. Hmm. Um, stands for methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, but we call it the motherfucker gene. This gene is estimated to be compromised in somewhere between 40 and 60%, depending on the study, 40 to 60% of the population has this gene mutation. And what this gene mutation does is it interrupts the ability to convert folic acid into the usable form called methylfolate. And while that might not sound like a big deal until you realize that folic acid is the most prevalent nutrient in the human diet. Folic acid, by the way, is an entirely man-made chemical. You can't find folic. We've been, we've been lied to about folic acid. I mean, it's, it's entirely man-made and synthetic. You can't find folic acid anywhere on the surface of the earth. It does not occur naturally in nature. Folate does. But we make folic acid in a lab. And then what we've done since 1993 is we've sprayed all of our grains, all white flour, all white rice, all white bread, and grains of any kind are sprayed with this chemical folic acid. It's called fortified or enriched. So when you, when you spin a box of crackers around, it says fortified whole wheat flour or enriched bleached white flour. That means it's been sprayed with folic acid. Well, 44% of the population can't convert that into the usable nutrient. Why do they spray it with folic acid? Well, I mean, without going down the whole road of conspiracy theory, I mean, you look at the same, you know, pharmaceutical companies that produce folic acid and you look at some of the... Um, you look at some of the downsides of having a synthetic form of a vitamin like folic acid in the diet and how it's correlated to higher incidences of ADD, ADHD, OCD, manic depression, bipolar. Um, it's correlated to poor gut motility, mood imbalance, anxiety. And because when you put this raw material into the human body, if you can't metabolize it, if you can't methylate it into the usable form, First of all, you now have a deficiency in the form your body needs and an excess in the nutrient you can't process. And this causes things to go haywire. So instead of folate, it's folic acid. Folic acid. And what does your body try to do with that? So your body tries to convert folic acid into eventually into something called methylfolate. There's a few right. steps in between tetrahydrofolate, dihydrofolate, but essentially folic acid and folate which you can find all over the surface of the earth, gets converted into the usable form called methylfolate. Okay, now this is one of the most uh, common, util commonly utilized methylated nutrients in the human body. It helps downregulate neurotransmitters. It helps 
improve the intestinal motility of our gut. Um, it helps degrade thought. It helps to actually break down catecholamines, which are fight or flight neurotransmitters that can actually stimulate thought. And so people will go a lifetime eating white bread, white flour, white rice, white pasta, uh, you know, um, breads and cereals of all kinds. And they're reading the label and they're like, wow, it's fortified. It's enriched. But fortified mm. or enriched for 44% of the population means you can't break that, that nutrient down. This is why there, there, there's a lot of evidence that getting folic acid out of the diet has immediate behavioral changes. I mean, if you're a parent and you're listening to this podcast and it's a full contact sport to get your kid in the car to go to school in the morning, look at what you're feeding them. The standard American diet is going to be like a Pop-Tart, a white bagel, a bowl of cereal, right? And all of those are fortified with folic acid. Well, there's a 44% chance your kid can't process that. And you're amping them up in the morning. It can mm. literally be like cocaine for a six-year-old, right? It could make their mind race. So now this kid gets up. I mean, he goes to the breakfast table and he has a Pop-Tart or he has a white bag or he has a bowl of cereal. He dumps all this folic acid in the body and now his mind starts to ricochet, right? And and it's a full contact sport to get him in the car. And then by the time they get to school, this, you know, the call's coming home saying, hey, little Johnny can't pay attention. He doesn't focus. He can't concentrate. He doesn't follow directions. Can't pay attention. Get him on Adderall. Yeah, get him on Adderall or Ritalin. And, you know, essentially mm. what that does is it says, all right, well, if the mind is racing, um, then let's put an amphetamine into the body to race the central nervous system to match the pace of the mind, <sighs> which is a horrible solution. How about we just quiet the mind, right? Because, you know, it, it, in our brains, we, we don't just create thought, right? We also dismantle thought. We break thought down, right? We transfer methyl groups from neurotransmitters and break them down so they no longer have an effect, right? Or else you'd always be in the same mood. So when we start creating thought at a faster rate than we break thought down, we call this ADD or ADHD, right? But it's not an attention deficit at all. In, in many of these cases, it's an attention overload disorder. It's too many windows open at the same time, right? So if we're opening too many windows, now all of a sudden we can't pay attention. So it, it's not that the majority of people with ADD or ADHD lack the ability to pay attention because they actually can hyperfocus. They lack the ability to pay attention to so many things, right? So, you know, you're thinking about a job you're working on and your friend walks up and you're thinking about a job and you start talking to your friend and you notice a logo on your friend's jacket that reminds you of a vacation you want to take. So you know, you're thinking about a job, talking to your friend, looking at the logo, thinking about a vacation you want to take all at the same time. And why is this? Because very often it's because you have slow breakdown, slow methylation of neurotransmitters. So thought, thought, thought comes in. And now all of a sudden we're like, this kid can't pay attention. This guy's all over the place. Huh. If you look at the link between that simple gene mutation, MTHFR, and its incidence in, um, its incidence in uh, stroke, cardiovascular disease, its incidence in um, ADD and ADHD and OCD, you'll find not a direct causal link, but enough of a prevalence to say, why wouldn't we just take folic acid out of the diet, add methylfolate, and take a shot at correcting the course of these conditions? So folic acid, when did it get introduced into the human diet? 1993 is, I think, when the federal government signed a deal to spray our entire grain supply with folic acid. 
I want to say it was 1992 or 1993, and I forget if it was Monsanto. I forget the pharmaceutical company that convinced the U.S. government to um, spray our entire grain supply. But before that date, like you ever notice when you go to Europe and you eat bread in Europe, you don't feel like shit? Or you, yeah. go to, you go to Italy and you have a bowl of pasta and you're like, man, normally when I eat pasta, I feel like shit. It just yeah. sucks. Okay, that's because it's not sprayed with folic acid. Really? Right? Because... I'd always been told that it's heirloom grains and that our new, uh, the wheat that we have today has been modified to, for higher yield for smaller acreage. Not as more complex. Well, glutens. genetically modified, first of all, you know, the GMO foods. So, um, you know, Italy banned GMO foods. Russia, actually, it's a felony to grow genetically modified foods. Um, so GMOs aside, and that's another thing. I mean, I tell people you got to get GMO foods out of your diet, right? We didn't genetically modify uh, seeds to increase yield, we've modified seeds to be resistant to glyphosate, right? The poison and pesticides. But if you go back to the folic acid and seed oils, for that matter, but if you go back to the folic acid theory, if we stopped spraying our grains just, just for 30 days, don't even stop eating white bread, white flour, white pasta, white rice, um, or grains, if that's what you eat. Um, I don't eat any of those things, but it, but if that's what you eat, don't stop eating them. Just switch to the organic, non-fortified, non-enriched version and watch what happens to your mood, your focus, your concentration, your short-term recall, the depth of your sleep and your waking mind at night. But the vast majority of wheat and rice and things that you do buy will have been enriched with folic acid. All of it in the United States is All unless it. it's organic. Wow. So if someone's buying a sandwich and you're getting it on regular bread, you're just getting a heap of folic acid. Getting a heap getting of folic acid. Bowl of pasta, you're getting a heap of folic acid. Mm -hmm. and bowl of rice that's not organic, heap of folic acid. And your body's like, what the fuck is this? Your body's like, what the fuck? Just, just be it. Pay attention to your mood after you eat high amounts of some of those things. Oh, uh, believe me, I'm very aware. <laughs> <laughs> my, my number one weakness. Yeah. My number one weakness is bread and pasta. Like so, if I do go off the rails with a diet, like I have a cheat day, that's what I cheat with. Okay. So try try next time you go off the rails eating non-fortified, non-enriched pasta, rice, bread. Flour. Well, I have absolutely noticed that when I've gone to Italy. Yeah. 100% notice it. You that's eat why. You pasta, it just seems normal. It does, like, you know, I hear about a lot of people that have gluten allergies <clears throat> and gluten intolerances, and now I'm wondering, like, what does that mean? Well, the foods that contain gluten, very often the foods that contain folic acid. Remember, 44%. Right. This happens to pregnant women, too, right? You know, postpartum depression, which, for the record, can begin before the pregnancy is over. Sometimes I get slaughtered online for saying, oh, you're talking about postpartum depression before the pregnancy ends. Yes, the diagnosis of postpartum depression happens very often before the pregnancy, before the pregnancy is carried to term. So... 44% of women have this gene mutation. What's the first thing their OBGYN tells them to do when they get pregnant? Take high doses of folic acid. Well, 44% of them can't process this folic acid. So what happens? Why do they tell them to take high doses of folic acid? Because What's they're the told that folic acid prevents neural tube defects, which is patently false. Folic mm. acid doesn't prevent anything. Methylfolate prevents neural tube defects. Are they told to take it in supplemental form? Are they told to take it in form of foods that are sprayed with folic acid? They're told to take it in supplemental form. If you look at the majority of cheap prenatal vitamins, right, the good ones, like Thorn, Pure Encapsulation, some of these you know, really good big brands, they will have methylated versions of vitamins, right? Okay. They'll take the folic acid out. Right. Because what happens if you're pregnant, 
you have this gene mutation, MTHFR. Um, number one, you have a skyrocketing incidence of miscarriage. But then because you don't have the methylfolate that your body needs for the adhesion of the egg into implant into the uterine wall. But now she's pregnant and she starts to take a prenatal vitamin with 1,400, 1,600% of the daily allowance of folic acid. She starts to go nuts, right? Develops postpartum depression. Eventually the pregnancy ends. She stops taking the prenatal vitamin and the symptoms go away, but she still blames it on the pregnancy, not on the vitamin. Whoa. The truth is I have yet to see a peer-reviewed published clinical study linking pregnancy hormones to, to postpartum depression. Now, is there a benefit to taking methylfolate? A huge form? benefit to taking methylfolate. And what? How do you get methylfolate? Is so it... you, you you buy methylfolate. You get the so methylated you... form of that nutrient. This is why I say if you if you look at five particular genes: MTHFR, MTRR, MTR, AHCY, and COMPT. Dude, if you find that you have one of those gene mutations and you supplement for their deficiency, magic things will happen in your body. You know, because if you have that, for example, there's a gene mutation called COMT, catechol-O-methyltransferase. And, you know, we all know people that are suffering from anxiety. If, if, if we haven't suffered from anxiety ourselves, chances are we know somebody who's suffered from anxiety. And if you really break down what anxiety is, right, a fear of the future... Um, you know, we have to understand that it doesn't require the presence of a fear for us to feel fear, right? So you could drive home tonight and pull into your driveway. And when you get out of your car, somebody's standing in front of you with a knife, right? So that's a real fear, right? Your pupils are going to dilate. Your heart rate's going to increase. Your extremities are going to flood with blood. You're going to start to have a fight or flight response, mainly because an area of your brain has dumped catecholamines, fight or flight neurotransmitters into your brain. Boom, now you start to have a fight or flight response. But you could also be laying on the 30th floor of a condo in bed, and you could just start thinking about getting eaten by a shark. Yeah. Okay, and the chances of a shark getting out of the ocean and coming up a 30-floor elevator, right, are zero. But you can have the exact same reaction. So how is it that I can have the same reaction to the presence of a real fear as an entirely perceived fear? Because it doesn't require the presence of a fear for these excess catecholamines to leak into the brain. Huh. And this is the, why the majority of anxiety that we have seen in our practices um, that my clinical team treats is coming from our physiology. It's not coming from our outside environment. In fact, if you ask most people that suffer from anxiety three questions, if you say, have you had it on and off your entire lifetime? They'll say yes. There's your first sign that's a genetic deficiency. Um, and then you say, well, can you point to the specific trigger that causes it? They'll say, most of the time I can't. There's your second sign that it's not coming from their outside environment. And then the third question is, if you've ever tried anti-anxiety medications, have they worked? The majority of the time they'll say, no, it just makes me feel like a zombie. That is very indicative that this is a nutrient deficiency and not a mental condition. We have a lack Whoa. of... Yeah. So... Do you encourage people to take methylfolate as a supplement? Or Absolutely. You, I encourage them. I think what's everybody the dose should. dose that they should take? Um, well, it's, it's weight dependent, but, you know, um, methylfolate, about 800 micrograms um, a day is usually is usually sufficient. Is unless, that something you take with food? Um, you can take it with or without food. It's a it's a non-water, it's a water-soluble vitamin. So unlike vitamins A, D, E, and K, which are actually fat-soluble that you need to take with food for them to be absorbed, you can actually take those even on an empty stomach as long as you're not taking it with a bunch of other vitamins that 
cause you to be nauseous because it changes your stomach pH. I think every single person should be at a minimum on a methylated multivitamin. Mm. The basic raw materials that your body needs to perform the process of methylation because methylation is how we create neurotransmitters, right? I mean, we make serotonin from taking tryptophan and amino acid and methylating it into serotonin. We make, we make dopamine from, um, you know, phenylalanine and tyrosine. If, if you can't make these conversions, you have certain deficiencies. And yes, you can have deficiencies in neurotransmitters, which will lead to the expression of a mood disorder. You don't have a mental illness. You just have a lack of mental fitness. And this is, this is why I think that's crazy that we, we, we're so quick to say that we have pathology and disease or dysfunction. And then we go to chemicals and synthetics and pharmaceuticals. And I'm not anti-pharmaceutical, but what I'm saying is before we diagnose somebody with a mental illness or an autoimmune disorder or with an allergy or a sensitivity or irritable bowel syndrome or any number of other conditions, we should ask ourselves what raw material could be missing from their body that could be causing this to happen, right? I mean, like when I was in the, when I was in the mortality space, you know, for, for, for 20 years, you know, I was reading medical records, just horrific voluminous amounts of medical records. I would see simple nutrient deficiencies get misdiagnosed as autoimmune conditions more times than I can even remember. So for example, you know, you'd have people go into their primary care physician and I would look at their medical records for five, eight, 10 years. Sometimes we had more than 10 years of medical records and I'd see, man, this person has single digit vitamin D3 levels. Like they are so clinically deficient in, in vitamin D3. And vitamin D3, you know, goes from about 30 nanograms per deciliter to 100 nanograms per deciliter. 60 to 80 is a perfect range, but chronic deficiency in vitamin D3, the sunshine vitamin, right? Mm -hmm. The only vitamin, by the way, that human beings can make on our own. I think it's arguably the most important nutrient in the human body. In fact, it was the second leading cause of morbidity in COVID for people that had deficiency. And it's also why we said that COVID disproportionately affected minorities because there's a higher incidence of vitamin D3 deficiency because of the pigment of their skin. But we would see, we would see these deficiencies in vitamin D3 that had gone on for decades, right? Now, all of a sudden, the patient is going into their doctor and saying, Doc, I wake up sore and achy in the morning like I had a workout the night before when I haven't soles of my feet and my ankles are sore when I get out of bed in the morning to walk to the bathroom. My knees and hips really bother me lately. And you know what? Just these past few weeks, it's kind of hard to make a fist. You would be shocked how many family medicine practitioners go, you know what, Joe, you've got uh, rheumatoid arthritis. I'm going to hit you with some high-dose prednisone. I'm going to put you on something called a corticosteroid, and you're going to be fine. Well, we knew in the mortality space that if you started corticosteroids, you had six years and one day until you were having a joint replacement. It was so accurate that if I saw you were misdiagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and started a corticosteroid, I would artificially advance your age six years and one day, and I would schedule the joint replacement. And then what I would do is I would model the reduction in what we called your ambulatory profile, how well you ambulate, how well you move. Because sitting is the new smoking, right? Sedentary lifestyle is the leading cause of all-cause mortality. And so as I reduced your mobility, I would bring in all the diseases that exacerbate with reduced mobility. So now if you rewind that, you had a simple nutrient deficiency in vitamin D3, cholecalciferol. You were diagnosed with a condition you did not have, put on a medication that wasn't required, 
which led to a joint replacement that wasn't necessary. How does how do these corticosteroids? How do they ruin your joints? How does that happen? So eventually, what they do is they upset the balance inside the joint, the synovial, um, the the protein balance inside of the synovium of the joint. So initially, they act <clears throat> initially they act as an anti-inflammatory, right? They they reduce the inflammation, and you you actually feel a little bit better. Um, it's like cortisone, you know, repeated cortisone injections have ended a lot of professional athletic careers, probably Joe Montana being the biggest, but um, that's why we try to reduce the amount of cortisone that we actually put into, you know, athletic injuries now. But but, how, but how, what is the mechanism? Like, how does it do it, that? It becomes cytotoxic to the joint because it interrupts the protein metabolism in the synovium of the joint. And so what happens is the joint begins to dry out and the friction surfaces become less lubricated and then begin to contact one another. And as they contact one another, because this protein is broken down, we rear the friction surface away and you get down to anchor cartilage, which we call bone on bone. And there's a lot of nerves there and you start to get a lot of, of joint pain. So corticosteroids will also, um, like methotrexate, they also block and interrupt the ability for the body to convert folate to methylfolate. Mm. They artificially give you the same condition as this gene mutation, which is why one of the biggest side effects of corticosteroids is gut issues. Because methylfolate is involved in the motility of the gut, you now start taking a corticosteroid and it shuts your gut down. And by corticosteroids, are you talking about prednisone? Like what are the ones that they prescribe? Prednisone, methylprednisone, um, and other oral corticosteroids. I have a friend who had gout and they put him on prednisone. For short periods of time, you know, in the acute inflammatory stage, it's okay. But to take prednisone systemically um, for a prolonged period of time, you're going to start to hear that he starts to get low back pain. Then he, well, first of all, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't have gut issues right now. If you ask him, hey, do you, do you notice the incident of gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, irritability, mm. cramping, kind of going up when you started those corticosteroids? He'll go, yeah, dude, my gut's a freaking mess. Mm. You know, constipated sometimes, then I get... Then I get diarrhea. Sometimes I blow up like a tick. So to take it back to cortisone, so if someone has an injury, should would you advise them to never take cortisone? Is it occasionally okay? Occasionally it's okay. I think most orthopedics now are trying to get away from repeated injections of cortisone other than at the inception of the acute injury. Because I know a lot of athletes, you know, they'll get a, a cortisone shot if they have to perform. Yeah, I mean, if they have to perform. But remember, that, that's also going to cause you know, ligamentous and tendinous laxity. You know, it's actually can be cytotoxic to those, um, to those tissues. It's cytotoxic to fibroblasts, which are the little cells that are embedded in, in, in those tissues that actually help promote healing, right? Because um, there, are, there are cells in injured tissues that are essentially through the inflammatory process calling platelets to the site of an injury, Right, which is one of the mm -hmm. ways that we heal. We call platelets to the site of the injury. The platelet itself is kind of useless, but it has growth factors inside of it. When it arrives on site, it bursts, it drops off the growth factors, and now you start this, this healing process, which is one of the reasons why PRP works so well, you know, platelet-rich plasma. Because you're, ta you're, you're taking all the platelets from the body and you're concentrating them into a site of injury. Mm. Right? It's why... Um, man, I used to love PPC 157 until the FDA <laughs> just came down on it. What the fuck is that about? Ah, fuck, dude. It just... Why did they do that? You know, it's, it, what's astounding is I read that whole report, and it wasn't for safety reasons, right? It wasn't, it wasn't because of the reporting of massive amounts of um, 
anaphylactic shock or hospitalizations right. or overuse or, um, um, you know, or, or, you know, somebody having some kind of illness or effect or, you know, shock because of it. It was because of the lack of safety data, which is another way of saying it hasn't been paid to be put through full-blown, you know, FDA clinical trials, which no one's going to do in so does that make BBC one five seven impossible to get now? It will, yeah, and and a it's whole so host effective. of other. It's so effective. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many thousands and thousands and thousands of patients my clinical team has put on BBC one five seven. Never with an adverse event. It is so good for the gut. It's a gastric pentadecapeptide. It's it's um you know it's actually synthesized from gastric juice, so it's actually tolerated very well orally. I've started to see it orally, yeah. which I never really saw before. I always saw it as an injectable, but I see it advertised as orally. Well, site injecting it into the site of an injury, like if you have a lateral epicondylitis or something, you inject it to that site of injury is very good, right? It'll localize there and kind of help call platelets to that location. But it's also extraordinarily good for leaky gut. Mm. Um, so people that suffer from inflammatory conditions of the bowel, irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, diverticulitis, uh, those those sorts of things, you know, um, BPC-157 can be just a game changer because mm. it is tolerated well. And they're going to get rid of it. They're going to get rid of Ooh, it. These motherfuckers. A lot, I know. <laughs> These motherfuckers. It's fucked up. You know, they're amino acids. They're amino acid sequences. I mean, same with growth hormone peptides, you know, well, Sumorlin still being allowed, but Ipamorlin, CGC-1295, MK677, Ibutamorin, these growth hormone peptides that kept people off of exogenous growth hormone that worked with the naturopathic circadian release of growth hormone that helped lots of older people fight sarcopenia, age-related muscle wasting, with virtually no side effects. By the way, you know, Sumorlin, I think, was first FDA-approved in 1983, if I remember correctly. So, you know, these things have been around for decades. We have lots of safety data on, on, on these. And thousands and thousands of patients without an adverse event, and we're going to have to... We're going to have to drop it. And so do you think they're doing this because they want the drugs to go through the safety protocols? Or do you think they're doing it because they see that people taking peptides limit the amount of pharmaceutical drugs they take? Well, I think, I think it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, the question is, where is the impetus coming from? Is it coming from the impetus to protect the public? Because if you're trying to protect the public, then why Get would you look at the... Yeah, I mean... How come those are at, still available? Yeah, look at the yeah. addictive amyloids and opiates and look at the side effects of... I mean, we, the whole serotonin hypothesis and depression has been disproven, but we still put people on SSRIs for depression, you know, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and people are on these things for 15 or 18 years, Yeah, right? Which is another, by the way, thing that methylation helps to fix. Um, it's, it's, it's not that all depression is related to methylation, but... The the prevailing theory when I was in the mortality space was that if you were low on serotonin, you were by definition depressed. And I was like, well, if the serotonin hypothesis were true, I was thinking about this back then, and now it's been disproven, then if if low serotonin were depression, then why wouldn't we just raise serotonin? Why would we put people on a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor that just rations or slows the uptake of serotonin rather than increase the supply of serotonin? Like with 5-HTP. Like with 5-HTP, with like turning methylation back on, mm. with 5-methylfolate, with the complex of B vitamins. Um, reducing, you know, urinary catecholamines are associated with anxiety and depression, and you can, re you can reduce urinary catecholamines with simple supplementation complex of methylated vitamins um 
you know, uh, methylated folate, sometimes something called SAMe, S-adenosylmethionine. These are generally harmless amino acids and methylated vitamins that people just need so their body can perform its duties, so it can mm. perform its job. You know, like I, I, I work with, with people all the time that come in and they're like, um, man, my gut is a mess, Gary. You know, I've had irritable bowel syndrome or I've had you know, Crohn's disease or diverticulitis or I have intermittent gas and bloating and constipation and irritability and cramping. And, um, you know, and I, I look at their allergy test and they're like, man, I'm allergic to all these things, wheat, soy, corn, dairy, blueberries, bananas. I'm like, okay, let's, let's slow this down. Um, let's just take corn, for example. You say you're allergic to corn. Is there ever a time that you can eat corn and not have a reaction? They go, yeah, sometimes I can eat corn and not have a reaction. Okay, then you're not allergic to corn because allergies are not transient. Allergies are consistent. So if you can sometimes eat it and sometimes not, you're not allergic to it. You don't have a sensitivity or an allergy. You have a gut motility issue. It's the most overlooked thing in all of bariatric medicine, in my opinion, because we, we stop thinking of the gut as a conveyor belt, right? It's like, remember Henry Ford, he, was, he wasn't made famous for the automobile. He was made famous for the... For the Production. Yeah, for the assembly line. Yeah. Right? So, so the assembly line was just a glorified conveyor belt. You put a part on it at one end, and as it kind of traverses the, the assembly line, you know, every few feet, somebody just tinkers with the part, tinkers with the part, and by the time it reaches the end, it's fully assembled. Well, the human intestinal tract is no different, right? It's just a glorified conveyor belt. It's 30 feet long. We put contents on it at one end as it exits the stomach in a very acidic environment. And as it traverses the gut, it generally becomes slightly more alkaline than it exits the rectum. That sequence of events is very important, right? If Henry Ford just walked into his factory one day and doubled the speed of the conveyor belt, what would happen? The entire line would break down. Nothing wrong with the conveyor belt. Nothing wrong with the part on the conveyor belt. Nothing wrong with the people working there. Nothing wrong with the food. Nothing wrong with the bacterial flora. It's not a. It's not gut, gut dysbiosis. It's not um, improper flora. It's not an allergy. It's not a sensitivity. It is a gut motility issue. And you change the motility of the gut, you get all of the outcomes that look like um, food sensitivity, food allergy. Um, you know. Uh, bacterial flora being off and then people start shoveling down probiotics and they get all this allergy testing and they go on these restrictive diets and it doesn't seem to help because they haven't addressed the motility issue. Methylfolate, complex of B vitamins, um, very often will give your body the, the raw material it needs to restore that peristaltic activity. And then you can get off the proton pump inhibitors and the Tums because, for the acid reflux, which is now, you know, screwing things up down the, down the line. So, you know, again, I always come back to this theory that we should always look at the soil before we diagnose the disease or the pathology because there's very little to lose by saying what nutrient deficiency could this person have that could be causing this condition to exist. It's like when people come into our clinics for hormone therapy, you know, very often we don't put them on hormone therapy. We just put them on nutrients to support healthy hormone therapy, right? I mean, if you have low vitamin D3, low DHEA, and high protein in your blood called SHBG, your hormones are going to be off, right? Free testosterone is going to be clinically deficient. Testosterone will probably also be low. And you don't need hormone therapy. Your endocrine system hasn't failed you. Your body just doesn't have the raw material it needs to do its job to produce those hormones. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I really wish we would stop or, or we would start going back to studying human physiology and saying, 
what could we put back in this body so it could perform optimally? I really think magic things happen to human beings if their body just has the raw material it needs to do its job. And most people don't. And most people don't. I mean, the vast majority of people are nutrient deficient. They're nutrient deficient, but they don't know what nutrient they're deficient in. They don't right. know what these five genes tell them, and they don't know whether or not they should be supplementing with methylfolate, um, avoiding folic acid, whether or not their sleep is related to their gene mutation. So, for example, if you have the gene mutation COMP-T, you have one of two types of sleep patterns. You, you lay down tired to go to sleep, so your body tired, but your mind is awake. And so what happens is your environment quiets, your mind wakes up. And these people, if you, if you ask them, well, what are you thinking about at night? They'll tell you it's the most innocuous little nonsense. It's like, did I get everything on my grocery list today? Right. Did, did my belt match my shoes? You know, did I return that Instagram post? It's nothing that couldn't wait till the next day, right? So why does the mind wake up at night? Because we are, we are releasing these catecholamines into the brain. We're not breaking them down at the right rate. So our mind is awake catechol O-methyltransferase, this COMP-T, takes those, those excitatory neurotransmitters and it breaks them down. This is why things like magnesium and zinc and SAMe um, uh, you know, work so well to help people sleep. They're not actually sleep aids. They're methylation aids that help you break down mm. neurotransmitters that create that wakened state. And this is why... Um, you know, those same people will, will say, you know, I work really well under pressure, right? Well, physiologically, when you tell me you work well under pressure, it says, you're saying to me, well, um, I lack the ability to set priorities internally. So I use external pressure to set my priorities for me. Well, what if you didn't have to rely on that extra stress, right? What if you're, what if you didn't give equal weight to every thought that came into your mind. What if you weren't laying awake all night thinking about, you know, what color dishes you'd use for a Thanksgiving Day party and you'd lay down and actually just went right into a deep delta wave of sleep? I mean, just think of the impact that that would have on a balance of your lifetime. And you may be one simple supplement away from that. Not I have never thought of it that way. I'm going to be honest with you. I've never thought that thinking would be connected so inextricably to diet deficiency. No question, because it's because what is thinking? It's this very often. It is this release of these catecholamines into the brain: ephedrine, norepinephrine, um, epinephrine, dopamine. One, one of which we call adrenaline. And so, you don't need a massive dump like a fight or flight response. You just need to have them rise and not be able to break them down at the right rate. It so for someone who has a, a very hard time going to sleep at night, like what would be a good supplement for them? Um, SAM-E, magnesium 3 and 8. Um, what, what is SAM-E? S-adenosylmethionine. S-A-M, capital S-A-M, little e. So SAM-E, S-adenosylmethionine. I'm going to write this down too. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I have a hard time. I don't have a hard time. My wife does. Does she? Yeah, she has a hard time going to sleep. I, I can sleep on Dude, I should do this. the floor uh, of a moving train. I'll look at... I'll do a cheek swab on her, and I'll tell her exactly what she's deficient in. Sam E. Okay. So, S-adenosylmethionine is very commonly, um, it's, it's one of the most highly required methylated nutrients in the human body. We, we also make Sam E, you know, eventually homocysteine breaks down to methionine, and then eventually S-adenosylmethionine, which goes into the brain and helps quiet the brain. And so, 
We need certain raw materials, methylated nutrients, to perform certain basic functions, right? Remember that the majority of our neurotransmitters are right here. Mm -hmm. right? Like 90% of the serotonin in your body is here. If you don't have it here, you can't have it here. Right. So rarely do serotonin imbalances start here. They usually start here. And so by, by taking a methylated multivitamin, which is very simple to get, um, methylated folate, a complex of B vitamins, SAMe, trimethylglycine if you have high homocysteine, you have a shot at feeling the difference between good and great. I mean, I think most people are walking around right now at about 60% max of their true state of normal. Mm. They just accepted such an erosion of their baseline sense of normalcy, they've forgotten what it feels like to be normal. They're like, yeah, I'm just supposed to not sleep that well. Um, I'm supposed to get a great idea in the bedroom, walk to the kitchen and wonder what the hell I'm doing in the kitchen. Um, mm. You know, I'm supposed to have this little bit of weight gain or water retention around. I'm not really supposed to be responding to exercise in my 40s or my 50s. And none of that is true. None of that is true. You don't, these are not consequences of aging. They're consequences of missing raw material in the human body. Wow. So for, for people that suffer from anxiety, what would be the thing? Like, so if you wanted to look for some sort of a genetic component to these people having anxiety, what would you look for? I would first highly suspect methylfolate deficiency. Now, if there are anxiety, if you sit down with them and they say, no, I haven't had it on and off throughout my lifetime. Okay, when do you get anxiety? Okay, I'm claustrophobic. Every time I step on a crowded elevator, I get anxiety. That's different. Right. Or I'm afraid of heights, and every time I walk to the edge of a 30th floor balcony and look over, I get, I get massive anxiety. Right. That's different. That's what I'm talking fairly about. fairly normal. That's fairly normal, right? These situational anxieties. But generalized anxiety, idiopathic anxiety. Illogical anxiety. Illogical anxiety. You know, all these conditions that people are told they have, right? And, and, and then they're ta taught coping mechanisms. I am by no means against... Um, uh, against you know therapy or counseling i think those can be some of the most beneficial things that anybody do, does there's signs of strength but the majority of what we teach people to do with anxiety is cope with it here's how you deal with it you breathe you get a um, you know you learn to, to get a therapist you avoid certain situations you modify your lifestyle we rarely say why don't we supplement for the breakdown of catecholamines fight or flight neurotransmitters which are associated in, in urinary excretions with anxiety, why don't we supplement for the proper breakdown of catecholamines and just see what happens? And you watch people's anxiety eviscerate. Um, magnesium, um, calcium um, gluconate, uh, hydroxycobalamin, this, this uh, spe specific form of B12. Um, you know, when, when you take a complex of B vitamins, a certain form of B12, methylcobalamin, hydroxycobalamin, methylfolate, and you put it into these bodies and they start breaking down catecholamines for the first time and getting rid of them, they may for the first time in their adult lifetime be anxiety-free and be like, what in the hell did I wait so long for? <laughs> wow. So the complex of B vitamins, if someone's looking for a complex of B vitamins, like what specifically does it have to have in it? Um, uh, pyridoxine. Riboflavin. Spell that pyridoxine? How do you spell that? P-Y-R-O-D-I-X-I-N-E. Pyridoxine. And it's, it's a form called pyridoxal 5-phosphate. But pyridoxine, riboflavin, thiamine, niacin, panathenic acid. Now, 
if you look at a B complex, it should contain all of those things it, by virtue of the fact that it's a B complex. If you go to a good vitamin manufacturer, um, you, you should see that their B complex is pyridoxine, riboflavin, thiamine, niacin, pantothenic acid, and then you'll see little f certain forms of it. The one thing you want to avoid, like the plague in the B12 category, and I get a lot of shit for this, but is a form of B12 called cyanocobalamin. How do you spell that? C-Y-A-N-O-C-O-B-A-L-A-M-I-N. Cyanocobalamin. Can we pull something up on here? Sure. Um, can you go to Google? Mm -hmm. Because before everybody climbs all over me and says it's, it's, it's a, basically it's a cyanide-based form of B12, right? It um, rarely occurs naturally in nature. It's, it's you know, the, the most bioavailable forms are called methylcobalamin, hydroxycobalamin, um, and adenosylcobalamin. But well, oh, what are we look at? oh um, are we going to be able to see it or no? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, just go to Google and put in cyanocobalamin. C-Y-A-N-O. Okay, cyanocobalamin. Um, and then put a space and put the word PubChem. So I'm just going to take you to the National Library of Medicine. Just click on that first link. So I'm going to take you to the National Library of Medicine at the National Institute of Health. You can go here. We're on their uh, public chemical site. And you can look up this form of B12. You see how it says cyanocobalamin B12? Can you scroll down to section 5.3? So if I want to see the component compounds, like what is this made out of, I can go right here to section 5.3 and I can look at its component compounds. Can you click on hydrogen cyanide? So this is a flammable, acute toxic health hazard, environmental hazard. By the way, this is the most common form of B12 in the world, right? We, we put this in Flintstone vitamins. We put it in all kinds of vitamins. The body can't even use this. It has to be converted into hydroxycobalamin. It's astounding that we're allowed to do this, right? Because in the U.S., we use something called single-dose toxicity to determine whether or not something is dangerous for you, right? And people that say things like the dosage determines the poison, that is, that is pathetically nonsensical because nobody gets mercury poisoning from a single um, you know, allowable dose of, of mercury. Nobody gets um, chemical poisoning from small, uh, a single small dose of a chemical. But let's go down here, go to, um, go to view more at the bottom. So just, just read that sentence right there. See, hydrogen cyanide is a highly toxic, see that? Yeah, highly toxic conjugate. Conjugate acid yeah. of cyanide that is used as chemical weapon agent. <laughs> what? Yeah, this is what it's we make our B12 as a from. Colorless gas or liquid. What? So if you're taking B12 supplements and they have that in it, mm -hmm. you're getting this. You're getting that, and you're essentially taking poison. Essentially, you're taking cyanide-based B12. The argument is it's not enough cyanide to cause harm, right? So, which I agree, but there's safe levels of mercury. There's safe levels of fluoride. Our, our water is full of fluoride. Our toothpaste is full of fluoride. But if you look at the fluoride studies in 3,600 municipalities around the United States, there's an inverse relationship between the concentration of fluoride and IQ. Yeah. As fluoride IQ. goes up, yeah. IQ goes down. Yeah, Especially we talked about that on the podcast teams. recently. We were trying to figure it out. Like, what the fuck is fluoride doing in the water? It's a neurotoxin. Right. It actually I think it was originally fluorohexane, which actually was a byproduct of fertilizer production. And they realized that when they kept the fluorohexane in the fertilizer, it killed the seed. So they pulled it out and they wondered, well, what the hell are we going to do with all this fluorohexane? Well, I guess we'll convince water municipalities to put it into the water. 
because there's a marginal amount of evidence that it can create a nanoparticulate layer over the enamel, and it could potentially prevent tooth decay. But you could just brush that. your teeth. Or you could just brush your teeth, right? Yeah. It's, it's astounding, The way I described too. it, I said it's like putting sunscreen in apples because some people get cancer. <laughs> so you should just, every, every apple should have sunscreen in it. Right. It's really that dumb. It is that dumb. And, and you know, when you, when you look at it, it's like I was looking at the back of some of these. I, I did a post on this the other day. I was looking at the back of these toothpaste labels, and it literally says to call poison control if you swallow it. Or on toothpaste. It says if swallowed, contact poison control. Oh, my God. But you get four times that dosage in, 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 in eight, eight-ounce glasses of water in a day if you drank tap water. And so, you know, one of the things I tell people to permanently get out of their life besides GMO foods is tap water. Like today should be the day that you never drink tap water again. Right, because yeah, because I have a friend who lives in New York City. He's like, New York City has the best tap water. I said, shut the fuck up. Yeah. You should never drink that shit. And yeah. I was trying to explain to him about fluoride. And it goes in one ear, out the other. You sound like a kook. You did. Fluoride's yeah, you do. bad. Fluoride's good for your teeth. Like, how do you know? Why yeah. are you saying that? Do you know it's bad for you? Yeah. What? Fluoride's bad for you. Fluoride's associated with low IQ. Yes. Do you know the higher the dose of fluoride in the drinking water, the lower the town IQ is? For real. Yeah. And people go, Gira, come on. Why yeah. would they do that? Yeah, it's a neurotoxin. Right, but why are they still dumping that? Is it just some sort of a predatory relationship that they, the fluoride manufacturers Well, I mean, have? now think of the position that you're in. You're a municipality, and like, well, guys, we've been giving you this fluoridated water for 25 years, and it's a cancer-causing neurotoxin. We're going to go ahead and pull that out. Imagine what that would I mean, it's public panic. But that's real. It's, it's absolutely real. You know, I got censored all over Instagram the other day for, for posting about seed oils. The same thing. I was like, look, guys, I didn't say particularly seed oils are bad for you. What I did say was industrial processed seed oils are bad for you. If you put a canola plant in a commercial press and it comes out gummy, and then you take that gummy canola plant and you, and you degum it with hexane, which is a known neurotoxin, and then you take that degummed oil and you heat it to 405 degrees and turn it rancid. So now you have a, a rancid neurotoxic bomb. Um, um, oil and then you and then you take that rancid neuro, neurotoxic oil and you deodorize it with sodium hydroxide, um, which is a known carcinogen, um, and then occasionally you 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 bleach it so so you you clear the liquid. Then you bottle it and put it on the shelf. That is horrible for you. In fact, that's the pro, that's the problem with the majority of our food supply is that it's not the food itself; it's the distance from the food to the table, right? I mean, everybody vilifies meats, but if you look at grass-fed meats versus industrial raised cattle they're night and day they're completely different chemicals but so with seed oils what happened you got censored on instagram i got fact check fact check yeah so if you go to my instagram it has that you know it has that little blank page can you go to that i want to see this fact check because these fact check motherfuckers are horrible oh yeah so go to my uh at gary brecca and then you go to my um reels and it's about 20 reels down you'll see the little clouded fact check thing they put over top of it and mm. it says um false information see why and then you have to click through and it says um food grade uh seed oils are not toxic for human beings experts say i'm like well i'd love to debate that expert i really can we go to that jamie I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. what would the post say what is the post well you, you, it's going to say false information it's going to be right, kind of what is the post out. that you wrote what does it say what does it look seed like oils. so you could find it just um, seed oils yeah recently um it's probably a few months ago now but it's still on there just go to my um reels not my stories and you'll see it on there yeah yeah 
There, keep going. Down, down, down. Down, down, down. It's right around here. Keep going. Now that's that one they didn't catch. Okay. Yeah, keep going. They I wonder how they do catch it. I don't know either, man. I don't know how these fat okay, now we're getting into it. Around here somewhere. Keep going. Has a little uh get gone. It's pretty obvious when you see it because it's cloudy, and uh, the image say. itself is cloudy. Because yeah, like you your kid, it's like fuzzy. They it. fuzz the image out. Um, Interesting. Yeah, fuzz is that out. it right there? No, no it's smoke. that's the UFC. Hold on. I don't know if it shows that way on the web. Maybe. Interesting. I don't think it's that far back. Keep yeah, going. That's why I don't, I'm pretty far back now. You are. All right, keep, keep scrolling up. You probably went past it. But you'll see they put a thing over top of it. Hold on. So I don't know if that happens on the uh, website version of Instagram. Oh, uh, well, I'm sure they fact check it on there too. Um, no, it's not going to be in the old human stuff. Scroll um, down a little bit, Jimmy. Let me see. Keep going. It was about maybe two, three months ago. Well, this one. So it's before that yeah, season. Before that one. So they that didn't catch that one. Five months ago. It was before that one. Uh, so it was before, before that? So yeah, it was before that. Okay, so this is six there. months ago. Probably I'm just very curious. Was, yeah, no, I want to show it to you, too. The keep, experts say. These are, the, these the are my reels? Yes, sir. Okay, keep going down. Because it was on a podcast I did with Infrared, uh, Bradley. Song, perfect Aminos. Yeah. This is seven, eight uh, months ago. Flight travel stuff. Keep going. Maybe it got pushed down further. Health and wellness. Yeah. UFC. Well, I can find it on my phone if I have my phone. That's what I'm saying. It's, I don't but think I'll show it to you. On the website. It's okay. Yeah. So, well, yeah, but so they, they blank it out. It has a little thing over it, and then it says false information, see why. And then it right. says fact checkers say seed oils are not bad for human beings. Yeah. No, yeah. I've I've seen people argue that too, mm-hmm. and I'm like, at what doses and for how long? Because they're ubiquitous; they're mm-hmm. in everything. So many people are consuming seed oils, and they right. really are industrial lubricants. Right. That's they they essentially repurpose them for human use because they had a bunch of it laying around. So true, Crisco. And, yeah, and it's not good for you by no. any stretch of the imagination. So when they said that seed oil. Are there any seed oils that are okay for you? I mean, a certain cold processed seed oils. I mean, I I, I eat olive oil. I think you olive need... oil, but olive oil is like you don't think of that as industrialized seed oil. No, it's and you have to watch pressed. that too because sometimes they'll put palm oil the and. Oh, you found it? On the phone, it shows that. Yeah. Says, so they uh, see it. It says fact checker lead stories conclusion false. Fact check food grade canola oil is not toxic for humans. Experts say that's the link. <laughs> that's it. Experts say. But see how they have that, that blank uh-huh. over there? So you can't even read it. Right. You can't go through see, it. See, my face yeah. is all blocked out. Well, I, there's a lot of things that I follow that have that, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> you it's, got it for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, 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 it's wild now. It's so crazy. It really is wild. It's so crazy. I mean, I, there's so many corrupting factors that are changing the way people have access to information. Yeah. And they're not getting access to accurate information. And they use that fucking appeal to authority. Experts say. Mm-hmm. What experts? Please are, put are, this expert Are um, they being paid the off? Are they the same experts that the sugar industry fucking bribed in the 50s yeah. to tell people that saturated fat is bad for you? Because yeah. to this day, p- people still believe that. It's I, wild. I just did an explanation of what the mRNA vaccine was. 
I didn't even attack the mRNA vaccine. I just explained to people because people didn't understand it was oh, yeah, false boom. information. See why? Reviewed by independent fact checkers. By the way, that's horseshit. There's no independent fact checkers. Right. They're not independent. No, that's it's horseshit. True. They they have a fucking mandate. Yeah. Okay, so click on that so you can just hear what he's saying. Flower sap flower. Yeah, sunflower seeds. Aren't those oil? good for you? These seed oils are terrible, man. If you actually saw how um, something like a canola oil was processed, right? I mean, when they actually first make canola oil, the oil comes out very, like, thick and gummy. So, they use so this is what you just described. Them. Yeah, and just what you described. Yeah. Yeah. To de-gum. So no, but none of this that you're saying is not true. No. So when you click see why, what, where does it take you, Jamie? Well, I just, oh, I can't. Uh, it doesn't? It back up. It, well, when you say see so why. See why. It just says so that. Just That's all it says. False. It just says false. <laughs> Fact check. Food grade canola oil is not toxic for humans. Not to, and as Paul Saladino. Oh, they hammer is Paul Saladino too. Is food grade canola oil for toxic for humans since it starts with the seeds of a rape plant? No one's saying that. By the way, it's not a rape plant. It's rape seed oil. No one, no one calls it the rape plant. I know. <laughs> Seeds That's of a so rape plant. crazy. No, Which it's not true. In the United States, the Food and Drug Administration, which, by the way, has never been known to be corrupt, <laughs> which sets food regulations, recognize canola oil safe for human consumption. Furthermore, a Tufts University nutrition scientist told lead stories. This, who is this fucking person? You just, a Tufts University nutrition science? Scientist yeah. told lead stories there's no basis for the claim that food-grade canola oil is unsafe for humans to consume. In fact, evidence suggests that canola oil may benefit heart health. The claim about canola oil's toxicity appeared in a video posted on Instagram December 25, 2022. In that video, an unidentified on-camera narrator claimed... <laughs> canola oil is toxic. Here's how it's made. So it takes that, da, 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 da. There's Paul. <laughs> Look at him. Looking guilty. Looking guilty. The claim that canola oil uh, is, a, is an old canard. In 2019, for instance, lead stories debunked a claim that canola oil causes brain damage, dementia, and weight gain. In January 4th of 2023, email to lead stories Alice H. Lichtenstein director and senior scientist of the Cardiovascular Nutrition Laboratory at Tufts University Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy, emphasized that claims that food-grade canola oil is toxic for humans are untrue. There's no basis on which to claim that any canola oil on the market contains uric acid or the oil extra extracted in any way that is different oh from other God. plants such as soybean oil. So what are you getting out of this? Look, canola oil is made by a process of chemical refinement called RBD, refined, bleached, deodorized, yeah. which involves the use of hexane, which is what I was just talking about, yeah. a volatile solvent with low toxicity. Okay. Refined, bleached, and deodorized. And it's been used to extract oils from seas since the 1930s, right when people started catching cancer a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah. This article, Canola, canola Council says of Canada... It's an article from the Canola Council of Canada. <laughs> Two things I don't trust. The Canola Council and Canada. And Canada. <laughs> seed oils are first crushed to express the oil, and the seed oils extracted from low-boiling solvent like hexane, deodorization is the final step. Whenever you have to fucking deodorize food, like, mm -hmm. what are you doing? That's not an armpit. Yeah. It's salad dressing. It, it, exactly. <laughs> Why are you all deodorizing And by the way, it's hexane, a known neurotoxin. Yeah. Um, we just use a little bit of it. 
right? And, th- and this is this is the thing that we do in this country. We have something called um, uh, we have com- something called single dose toxicity, which means that you know if this capsule has a certain amount of arsenic in it, but it's not enough to cause a toxic reaction, then I can still give it to you. Mm-hmm. But it's the cumulative dose toxicity most European countries use, which is why. Um, there are dozens of compounds that are legal in the United States that aren't legal anywhere else on the surface of the earth. They're certainly not legal in Europe. Um, they don't use folic acid in Europe. They don't use cyanocobalamin. Um, actually, cyanocobalamin, I'm not sure. God damn it, Jay, we have to move to Europe. I know. Do we have to move to Europe? I don't know. I'm more interested on like how a small website like this becomes... <laughs> They get the paid. Verified fact I know the verified fact They get fact fucking checker. paid. They get fucking paid. <laughs> the I'm canola like, oil someone, society declines. Yeah, like th- there's so many of these websites that are in cahoots with big businesses. It's horseshit. These yeah. independent fact checkers are not independent, and they're not checking facts. Right. They're just spewing propaganda. Well, it's it's astounding too that you can actually be from the canola so- society defending the canola facts. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, but it really is hilarious. In, and, and again, the same, same as with, with, with fluoride. So, you know, the, these, it's, it's all of these little microtoxicities, right, that are, that, that are adding up. I mean, you know, when you look at cellular metabolism and how it's interrupted by all of these microtoxins, one of the reasons why people, when they go on certain types of, of diets, like a carnivore diet, experience such a dramatic improvement in health is because the majority of what's happening is they're removing a lot of these toxic chemicals. Makes sense. Right? Improving their mitochondria. By the function. way, can we change the name of rapeseed? I know. <laughs> like, you know, do we, do, we, do we have a murder fruit? You know, like, what yeah, the fuck? exactly. Why is, why are they calling it that? How is it the same thing as canola? Like a domestic violence seed. Right. Because you think of canola, you think of corn. Yeah. Palm kernel. Sun, sunflower sounds great. Yeah. But uh, rapeseed. But all of those seeds, safflower or safflower oil, sunflower flower or sunseed oil, sunflower seed, all those seeds are bad. All those seeds are bad. All those seed oils are bad. Not that sunflower seeds are bad for right. you, but those seed oils are bad due to the process, due to the hexane, due to the deodorizers. Yeah, the polyunsaturated fatty acids. I mean, this is what causes the oxidation, you know, in, in cholesterol, you know, gets oxidized and it actually starts the atherosclerotic or, to, um, you know, process. It starts the, the placking and the scarring and it actually makes these... Um, you know, turns them into free radicals. So you're saying that seed oils themselves cause the placking? Seed oils themselves cause the oxidation of cholesterol, which leads to the placking. You know, the cholesterol really gets vilified, right? I mean, LDL cholesterol. I mean, there's very little evidence linking LDL cholesterol on its own to cardiovascular disease. Now, there are some apolipoprotein A's, apolipoprotein B's, but when we you look at your 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 blood work and you see that your LDL cholesterol is marginally high, you know, let's say that it should be 99 or less and you're 109 and, and they say, well, you should go on a statin. I mean, marginally elevated cholesterol when we were in the, when we were in the mortality space was a marker of longevity. At the time, what we would do is if you had low levels of triglyceride and you had elevated, marginally elevated LDL cholesterol and high HDL cholesterol, the high-density lipoprotein, we would actually extend your life expectancy. Really? We would extend your life expectancy. If you were clinically in our, in, in, in within these certain margins, if you were very low on cholesterol, like your LDL cholesterol was clinically pushed down. Remember, cholesterol is not a fuel source. Right, it's, it's the body can't use cholesterol for energy. It's a construction material. So we use it to build every cell wall. We use it to build cell membranes. We use it to make hormones. It's a very necessary construction material. Um, and 
it gets vilified because it's at the scene of a lot of crimes, but it's not pulling the trigger, mm. right? I mean, a more dangerous measure would be to have high cholesterol and very high triglycerides because then you start to reduce the particulate size of cholesterol, you know? So remember like from high school geometry, as the size of a sphere gets smaller, its surface area to volume ratio goes up. And so a lot of these small particulate cholesterols are very dangerous because they pass through the arterial wall, they get kind of eaten by a macrophage and they start this process of scarring. But just having elevated levels of LDL cholesterol was a marker for longevity um, in, in the, our mortality space. So are there foods that when combined with high levels of dietary cholesterol, like is, is there things that you should not eat while also consuming high levels of dietary cholesterol and they work together it's, in a negative way? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not aware of any link between dietary cholesterol and serum concentration of cholesterol. Only 15% of the cholesterol in your bloodstream comes from diet. 85% of the cholesterol in your blood is manufactured by the liver. So if you want to lower your cholesterol, we have to lower what we put into the front door of the liver. Mm. If you put high glycemic carbohydrates in the front door of the liver, you will likely get not just high triglyceride, but also elevated levels of cholesterol out the back door. So elevated levels of cholesterol and high triglycerides are the problem that them together. Yeah. And that comes from diet as well as sugar. Sugar. Yeah. I mean, sugar is the enemy, right? I mean, so, you know, people that eat the most sugar have the highest blood fat. You know, if we go back to Dana White for a second, um, you know, he had um, a life-threatening level of triglycerides when he was fasted. His triglycerides were around 800, which is very high for a fast, fasted. fasted state. Yeah. When he was fasted. And what was it like when he was eating? Oof. I can't imagine. But he Jesus. also ate a lot of refined carbohydrates. Yeah. So now, remember, you know, this, this syndrome called metabolic syndrome, which is showing up in younger and younger and younger ages now, right, is this combination of, you know, abdominal fat, um, high triglyceride, high blood fat, um, high insulin, hyperinsulinemia, um, high levels of, of sugar, which is called hemoglobin A1C, the three-month average of your blood sugar, um, low HDL cholesterol, the health, healthy cholesterol, and high blood pressure. And if you have any two of those five, you have metabolic syndrome. He had all five of those five in a really bad way. Wow. Um, and, you know, it's a very hard concept for him to understand, too, that you have, a, you know, this kind of life-threatening level of triglyceride, so we're going to put you on a, um, on a high-fat diet to bring your blood fat down. Right. Right. We're going to try to put you into a state of ketosis so your body starts to use beta-hydroxybutyrate and fat as a fuel source so we can actually drive the triglycerides in your blood down. And everybody, you know, hammered me. And they're like, oh, I don't have $10 million to spend on a, a program like that. I'm like, you, it was a 10-week, 12-week keto reset, um, you know, peptides, yes, yes, hormone balance. Um, but all the fancy equipment, the red light therapy beds, the hypermax oxygen, the PMF, all those things you can get for free by just you know, going out in sunlight, grounding, and learning how to do breath work. Um, but most people don't give it the credence that it deserves because it's free, right? Mm. It's like, you know, mo most people don't even want to take a cold shower, much less get into a, uh, you know, a cold plunge. Um, you know, most people don't want to wake up with the sun and take their shirt off and go outside and expose it to natural sunlight. Most people don't want to take eight minutes and do breath work. But if you just added those three things to your morning routine, you'd change the entire trajectory of your life. Mm. Um, and you really would. 
You really would. Yeah. And I try to tell people that all the time. Yeah, I mean, you if you got 125 grand or 150 grand lying around and you want to buy the top red, line red light bed, you want to buy the top of the line cold plunge, and you want to buy a PEMF mat, and you want to buy a Hypermax oxygen system, then by all means, because those do work. They'll make it convenient for you because it, all they're doing is bringing the best of what Mother Nature has from the outside and bringing it in. What is the best red light bed? Is there, because I have one of those ones that you stand in front of, mm -hmm. you know, what are yeah, those, that's what's a juve, that one called? Juve, juve. yeah. Um, is that good? Yeah, so that they're good, but you know, the milliwatts of irradiance, but between all the beds that we tested, we actually make, uh, we partnered with Da Vinci Medical and Theralight 360 to make one of the most powerful red light beds on the market. And what's it called? Um, it's called the 10X. 10X. I'm going to get one of those bitches. Health, what's it called? 10X. 10X Health Red Light Bed. It's made Health by Theralight 360. Pull that up, Jamie. Because I've always wondered. Just go to 10XHealthSystem.com. I barely use my Juve. There. I think it does something. I feel better when I use yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. That looks like a fucking spaceship. It does. So that's got 45,000 light diodes. That's 123 grand. Jeez yep. Louise. By milliwatts of irradiance, it's one of, if not the most powerful pet on the market. So what happens with this thing? What's the so, benefit of this sucker? So there's certain very specific. Look how you could just buy with shop. Um, Why don't you yeah, buy yeah. Who the fuck's got that kind of credit card? <laughs> I know. Well, this is what I get shit from <laughs> all, online all the time. So before everybody starts killing me going, you got to buy a $123,000 light bed. Right. Um, you know, you can. Um, you know, just l add to your morning routine exposing your skin to sunlight and getting out in first light and doing breath work. If but you this sounds like it's a lot better. Oh, this is incredible. I mean, so if you look at the wavelengths of light that are really therapeutic, the 680 to 720 nanometers, 810 and 940. There are other wavelengths, but those wavelengths in particular will do some very, very special things. Um, you know, not only will they help improve collagen, elastin, fibrin synthesis in the skin, so red light therapy is actually very good for your skin. Um, the longer you use a red light therapy bed, the more kind of youthful appearance you'll take on. Ooh, youthful appearance, young Jamie. You know you want that. <laughs> Gotta stay young. <laughs> but the, so, the, um, the real magic happens in the mitochondria. And how often would you use something like this? Um, I use mine 20 minutes a day as often Every as I day. Can. Every day if I can. Because I went to this place that was a hyperbaric chamber place, but they, they had a red light bed, and I was using it quite a bit. But they said you can't use it every day. I, know, there, I don't see any evidence that you that overexposure to those therapeutic wavelengths of red light is, is detrimental. Why would they tell you not to use it every day then? I have no idea because they'll tell you to use it every day if you have an injury. And I'm like, well, does it not harm you when you have an injury? And it only harms you when you don't have an injury? I mean, if you if you got a little more sunlight exposure one day and had those same nanometers of wavelength passing through your skin, did you do damage on the days that you had slightly more sun exposure? Because, you know, the, the, the real magic of red light, I mean, there's a lot of magic to red light, these, you know, reduced inflammation, increased microvascular circulation. But really what happens inside the mitochondria, I have kind of a saying that, the presence of oxygen is the absence of disease because during my 20-year career in the mortality space, we did not find a single disease etiological pathway that did not have its roots in a lack of blood oxygen or specifically um, was not exacerbated by a lack by, by hypoxia, mm. right? And if you think that we all die the same way, right? I mean, every human being leaves this earth the same way. We all die of hypoxia, lack of oxygen to the brain, but... Um, it's just what causes that to happen, right? Is it a gunshot wound, a boss, a stroke, you know, heart attack? Um, 
But the truth is that this level of oxygen management in the body is a measurable thing. You're either using oxygen very well, and therefore you are slowly approximating the grave, or you're using oxygen very poorly, and you are accelerating towards the grave. So, for example, when you look at um, how human beings are truly powered, right? Like, where do we really get our energy from? It's really one energy source called ATP, right? And it's produced inside this little organelle called the mitochondria. There's about 110 trillion of these in your body. 10% of your body weight is mitochondria. And the mitochondria um, has a voracious appetite for oxygen. When it receives oxygen, it will create 16 times more energy. It will produce 36 ATP rather than 2 ATP. So imagine a little mitochondria that has a motor inside of it called the Krebs cycle. And every time this motor makes one revolution, it has two choices. It can either create two units of energy, 2 ATP, or it can create 36 units of energy, 36 ATP. The difference between a 16-fold increase or 16-fold decrease in energy is the presence of oxygen. And so if oxygen enters this cycle, right? It produces 16 times more energy. It puts out water and it also puts out carbon dioxide. Um, if there's no oxygen present, it only produces uh, 2 ATP and it releases uh, lactic acid, and which, by the way, doesn't make your muscles burn, but it releases lactic acid. So what if... You, when you used a red light bed, one of those wavelengths of light actually goes through the mitochondrial wall and it goes into this motor. It goes into the Krebs cycle and it actually kicks out a gas called mitochondrial nitric oxide and forces oxygen to dock. There's a little place in this motor called cytochrome C oxidase and cytochrome C oxidase is like a one-armed man. He can either shake hands with oxygen or he can shake hands with nitric oxide, but he can't do both. So if I can get him to let go of nitric oxide and grab oxygen, I can get a 16-fold increase in mitochondrial output. Whoa. So that's what happens with red light. It's and like do you get that from sunlight from as well? Is that something you get, it from you get from sun exposure? exposure? Just not at the depth that you would get from a red light bed. Mm. This is why I'm saying that if you don't have the budget for a red light bed, but the majority of people don't, the benefits of getting first light in the morning are so much more astounding than you think, but because it's free, people don't, um, you know, they, they don't they think give of it as that important. Yeah, they right. don't think of it as they that They give important. it as woo-woo. Yeah, so this will go a few inches into the skin, 360 degrees around. If you look at photobiomodulation and the treatment of Parkinson's syndrome, like, like using um, red light therapy on the skull for neurogenic disorders and neuroinflammatory conditions, if you look at um, arthritic conditions, um, in, and you know, all kinds of inflammatory pathologies in the body and the impact of photobiomodulation, it is astounding what light does in the human body. And when, what is the difference between like what that does and what like one of those juve wall does? So it's, it's the milliwatts of irradiance for, num for one, which is the, the, the power, kind of the, how, how strong it's being pushed. Whether or not you can, you can regulate the hertz, right? 528 hertz, 5,000 hertz, 1,000 hertz. This is kind of the frequency of the light. And then there's the, um, and then there's the different wavelengths hitting you at the same time. You generally find therapeutic wavelengths between 680 and 720 nanometers, specifically 810 and 940. Those are the ones that have the most clinical research on, on them. They're also extraordinarily safe. And so um, I think it's actually FDA approved for the skin and, and certain eye treatments, but I'd have to go back and check that. But 
I think it does. Red light does have an FDA approval. But laying in red light therapy every day, if you do that for a month, even if you did it 10 minutes a day for 30 days, at the end of that month, you would notice a profound and material change in your performance. Really? Mm-hmm. That's why there's red light beds at the, uh, you know, the UFC performance right. center. But the ones like a Juve is like a, how much less powerful? I would say Juve is a good, right? So it's a something. Full body red light therapy is best, right? Um, we already know it's it, it's it's effects for wound healing, collagen, fibrin, elastin, inflammation reduction, the improvement in. Um, microvascular circulation, so like in the in your eyes, liver, lungs, pancreas, kidneys, brain, that that photobiomodulation is very good for neural inflammation, um, and because of the way that it upstages the mitochondria, just think you got 110 trillion mitochondria in your body. If you could power those mitochondria up, if you could get a 16-fold step up in cellular energy, just think of the amount of extra waste elimination, repair, detoxification mm. um, that you could that you could cause. And it, is it dangerous to your <clears throat> eyes? Because one of the things about those light beds, they make you wear eye goggles. They make you wear eye goggles. I probably shouldn't say this on the podcast, but I mean, say it. I don't. You don't? I will Do you ever open your eyes? I leave them wide open. Wide and I open. look right at the light. What? Yeah. It's and not bad for your eyes? You, you Watch what happens to your vision after a week to 14 days of being in a red light therapy bed without eye protection. Really? If you don't have a marked improvement in your in your, in your vision, I'd be very surprised. So what is the negative aspect? Of why do they tell you to cover your eyes? Well, because, you know, I, mean, I guess the, the bright light, if you're staring directly at one, at one of those lights, if you have some kind of photosensitivity or damage to your rods or your cones, or your macular, or your retina, I mean, if you had eye pathology... Um, which you would know about, then there might be some some downside consequences. But you just lay there and stare at that fucker? Right at the light <laughs> with my eyes wide open. I'm 54 years old. I don't wear, um, well, 53 years old. Don't add a year to my life. But, And I don't I don't wear reading glasses or anything. I have really? a small font on my phone. I Dude, know. I do. You do? Yeah, my shit started falling apart at like 44, <laughs> 45. Did it? I really started noticing. But I started taking- I'd be interested uh, to find out what happens after you're in that red light bed I'm for a while. down. Let's go. <clears throat> um, I started taking uh, pure encapsulations. Um, I love uh, those mac- guys. Yeah, macro support. Mm-hmm. And I stopped the, uh, the, the de- degradation of my vision. It oh. hasn't gotten worse. Great. Yeah. So yeah. it got- It's not the best- but you know my font's not that big. Yeah, you know I can, see I can, that magnesium. I can, I can read that pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I, I can read websites. I don't need glasses, but when I use glasses, I definitely see things much better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it helps. The uh, Juve website says only when you're at one setting do you need the eye protection for their newer th- devices. You don't need the it. newer generation 3.0. So what does it say? Red wavelength only eye protection is not required and may be beneficial for maintaining. Oh, good. I'm glad they're doing that. Aware. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm glad and, they're doing that. But the Juve, they, they don't make one that juices you up the way yours does. No, God, no. No. That's 125 milliwatts of radiance more powerful than anything on the market. Wow. I think the next bed has maybe 15,000 light diodes. There's 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 45,000 light diodes in that bed. Okay. You know, the, so the one is diodes good, are made by Aspen The other one laser. is great. Yeah. So Juve does something for you. It's not bad for yeah. you. It's good for you, but it's not fantastic for but, you. But again, start with, start with sunlights, skin exposure. Right. right. Um, Huberman talks about that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry I'm a huge fan of Huberman. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. the best. Yeah. He's the best. Yeah. Um, and he's just also made this kind of science uh, so much more accessible to people. Yeah. And, and it's still, I mean, just blowing my mind all the things I'm learning from you, which is just. Thank you. I've been 
learning this stuff for so long, but that's part of the problem is it's so difficult to like maintain this information in your head. No like, doubt. To keep it. And I, I, I want to I get it to the masses. Like, you know, I, I don't want my like social media and podcasts and, and stage talks and things of like that for me to be speaking to my peers. I feel like right. the woke biohacking crowd has enough woke biohackers that are doing a great job out there that somebody needs to just talk to the masses. You There's know? a bunch of fucking grifters in that woke biohacking crowd. Yeah. There's a bunch of unhealthy looking douchebags. Yeah. It's crazy. Selling nonsense. And yeah. I, I know a few of them and I know they're frauds. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of fucking people that are just sort of reiterating shit that people like you have actually done research on. Right. They say it wrong sometimes. They yeah. Switch things around and fuck things up because they don't really have an education in it. They yeah. But yet their business is selling you products that are supposedly beneficial. Oh, gosh. Yeah. There's a lot of these. That's why I always try to like every I'm like, look, here's things you can do for free. Right? right. I mean, yes, I have a supplement line. You can buy my supplements, but pure encapsulation is a great supplement. Third and Thorn is a great supplement. Mm -hmm. I would rather people take the information and put it to work in their life than, you know, buy my ebook or. So the number one like thing, probably <clears throat> number one thing is let's start from the top because we've we've got a great list of stuff. Get yep. rid of folic acid. Get that shit out of your diet. Get rid of folic acid. Um, number two, if. If you can afford it, get a genetic methylation test once in your How lifetime. How much does one of those cost? About five, six hundred bucks. Oh, okay. Six hundred bucks to do it through, through me, but it's and you'll do it once in your lifetime. But okay. you don't have to do it through me. There's other great companies, but do a genetic methylation test. Get five specific genes looked at: MTHFR, MTRR, MTR, AHCY. And C O M T. And you do this for a cheek swab? Is that you what do it, is? it with a cheek swab. You swab your cheek, you put it in a little test tube, you send it to the lab, and then the results come back to you. For the balance of your lifetime, you will never guess on what your body is deficient in, right? Mm. What, because it, you will know what it can methylate and what it can't. Okay. And then just start supplementing for the sake of deficiency, not the sake of supplementation, and step back and watch what happens. Mm. Forget all the fancy Amazon roots and, and, and you know, rare supplements that only one company has that they patented and trademarked, and it's a secret to optimal health. Because by the time you get way down the road to all of the, um, I would say, um, enhancement type supplements, like I'm a huge fan of NMN, I'm a massive fan of resveratrol, um, you know, stem cell stimulatory supplements and, and, and things like that. You gotta cover the basics, right? You gotta get the foundation right. The soil has to have the right nutrients so the body can perform its basic functions. And then you can start targeting things with mycelized turmeric and curcumin and, and NMN, and you can start taking, um, you know, creatine to help with with muscles you can you can do all of those additional things but to get the basics right where does the rubber meet the road what does this tree need to grow in and and survive and then what can i do to make it thrive okay right because i think a lot of people are skipping that step right they're just not doing the basics they don't have just a basic morning routine a basic free morning routine so they actually lack a lot of confidence in themselves Right. And I use that David Goggins method of stop negotiating with yourself. Like discipline is better than motivation because mm -hmm. a lot of mornings, you know, you wake up, yeah. you're not motivated, but you just say, okay, here's the four things I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to try to wake up with the sun. Um, but I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to do eight minutes of breath work. I'm going to expose my skin to um, sunlight and I'm going to touch the surface of the earth. Just those things right there, just earthing, grounding, 
breath work and sunlight exposure, which cost you zero, zero, and zero. What is grounding? Like, why does that do anything? So, so if you look at, um, you know, uh, when you when you contact the surface of the earth, you actually discharge into the earth. You're talking barefoot. Barefoot, right? So bare feet touching bare soil. Earthing grounding is a very real thing. So when you touch the surface of the earth, you discharge into the earth. So what does that mean? You actually change the surface polarity in the body. Remember that pH stands for potential hydrogen. It's a charge. Right? So we know that being slightly, it's the pH range of the body is very narrow. It's probably four tenths of a point, five tenths of a point, the pH of the blood. Um, and the way that we become more alkaline, contrary to popular belief, is not by drinking alkaline water. That's one of the biggest marketing myths ever sold to the public. You, you cannot get, change the pH of the blood by changing the pH of the water that you put into the stomach because it's buffered. So alkaline water is bullshit? Um, well, I mean, it's good because it's filtered. But it's bullshit that it won't that it will change the pH of your blood. That's complete nonsense. So I, I think the best kind of water you can put into the human body is hydrogen water by a landslide, right? I mean, if you're going to drink spring water, drink um, uh, Mountain Valley. But if you, um, by the way, I don't have any deal with Mountain Valley. I have no particular reason to push them. But if you can, hydrogen water by all of the clinical studies, there are probably 1,400 published peer-reviewed clinical studies on hydrogen water more than any other type of water on the planet. Um, and, you know, there's a whole class of, of, of bacteria in your gut called hydrophiles. You can actually increase the um, absorption of all of your um, nutrients and your, your and supplements. And where does one get hydrogen water? Um, I have a link to the one that I use on my Instagram. I forget the name of it. But um, I think it's the Echo Echo water filtration. Um, so it's something that you have to do at home that converts your water to hydrogen water? Well, you can add hydrogen to your water when you're done. I actually have a little hydrogen bottle. I th I'll, I'll bring you one. It's um, And you you fill it with, with uh, you know, your bottled water, and you just hit a little button, and it adds hydrogen ions to the water. I never travel. I never go anywhere without it. So I got it with me in your studio here. And the benefits of hydrogen water are? So you put hydrogen ions in, in, into the water. So it improve, It not only feeds the hydrophiles in your, in your um, bloodstream, but it will improve, your, um, it'll improve the absorption of, of, of nutrients and supplements in your stomach. It actually helps enzymes further break down. They com complete what's called this lock and key method in, in, in your stomach. The, the studies on hydrogen water and... Um, neuroinflammatory disease and chronic inflammation are astounding. Um, I put them all on my, my, my Instagram so people can actually just go and click through them and read the conclusion sections of these. But if I, again, could drink only one type of water, it would be hydrogenated water. You can't overdo it with hydrogen water either. Um, second to that would probably be spring water, like a Mountain Valley spring water. And then after that, I would, you know, look at the alkaline waters and some of these some of these other reverse osmosis and so four stage this waters. hydrogen water thing this is only something that you do with a process once you have spring water this is not something you can buy already hydrogenated you know i have seen i i haven't personally seen the studies on there's a lot of hydrogen water companies out there and i don't have an opinion about them one way or another because i never actually tested them so everything that i like speak about or promulgate i've i've, I've usually third party tested myself and I'll, I'll experiment on myself too. So like I'll, I'll go into a red light bed and say, okay, if I lay in this red light bed and it's supposed to release nitric oxide from my mitochondria um, and throw it into the serum of my blood, well then if it's actually working and it's increasing the nitric oxide in my blood, I should be able to test that. 
So I got I would get nitric oxide saliva test strips and I would put it in my mouth and then I would get in um, before I got in the bed and I would see that it was like a pale um, pinkish color. And then I would get in the bed for 20 minutes and about 10 minutes after I get in the bed, I'd test it again and see that it was like a dark blood red Cabernet, just showing that my nitric oxide level spiked. And I'm like, okay, now I can see that the claims that this was making is having a physiologic response because there's no way for my nitric oxide level to spike. I didn't supplement with it. I just laid in the bed. Um, I do the same thing with like these, these PEMF mats, these pulse electromagnetic field mats that run low gauss current through the body. Um, you know, supposedly what they will do is they'll change the surface polarity of your cells. So if you like were to prick your finger and put it on a slide and look at your blood under a microscope, you'd see that most of your red blood cells are kind of stuck together and clumped up, right? They're sort of traveling around the, the bloodstream in packs, almost like too many cars trying to take the same exit. But then when you run a low gauss current through the body, like contacting the surface of the earth, when you're asking me, what does grounding do? You contact the surface of the earth or lay on a PEMF mat. And when you're done, prick your blood again, put it back on the same slide, look at it under a microscope, and you'll see all your red blood cells have separated. And they no longer can touch. Because on the surface of the red blood cell, you have a charge. And if, if the surface of cells have the same charge, they can't touch. As soon as they get opposite charges, they attract, right? And wherever they attract and touch and clump up, you lose that surface area. So now waste elimination, detoxification, repair, um, you know, all of these things are impeded because the cells are clumped up. Mm. If you just walked on the surface of the earth, you would see the changes, physiologic changes in your blood. Try it. Don't take my word for it. Just there, you can get a microscope online for about 400 bucks. You can get dark field, something called dark field, and you can put your blood on a slide and watch what happens after you've been sleeping all night before you go out and touch the surface of the earth and then prick your finger 10 minutes later after you come in. Or 10 minutes after you get off a PMF mat. And what is more beneficial, PMF mat or the grounding of the earth? I think they're about equal. The problem is that most people just don't have the time or the wherewithal to touch the surface of the earth. You're, you know, they're in Michigan or Canada or it's dark when they leave in the morning, dark when they come home in the morning or they live in a condo high rise or they're in New York City. And it's hard to find actual dirt, grass, sand that you'd want to walk on without hypodermic needles and dog shit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I live, I live in downtown Miami and, um, you know, in the mornings I would, I would take my elevator down and walk across the street, take my shoes off. And I called it four corners. There was a little park across the right next to the American airlines arena, um, downtown where the heat play. And I would just walk the four corners of that park, um, you know, in the morning with my shirt off, just getting sunlight and doing some breath work. I would go back inside to my mood, my emotional state, my energy, everything through the roof and then take a cold shower. That's it. I mean, you, it, most people, you know, the, again, not the super ultra woke biohacker, but the basic humanity, we have, you know, we have subscribed to the fact, or I've subscribed to the fact that aging is the aggressive pursuit of comfort. I really think aging is the aggressive pursuit of comfort. The more aggressively we pursue comfort, the faster we age. And, you know, um, and so, most people just don't want to wake up in the morning, expose their skin to sunlight, do a little breath work, ground, touch the, touch the surface of the earth, and then take a cold shower. None of which would add a penny to their budget and would absolutely change the trajectory of their life. And then as you get more money, then you can add a red light therapy bed. You can add a PEMF mat. You can do a cold plunge and start to really amp up the benefits of these things. And when you use a PEMF mat, it has the same effect as grounding on the earth? same effect as grounding. I mean, you're if you lose a, body on it? Yeah, if you lose a lo, use a low-gauss PMF man, 
low gauss current um it has the same effect as lying on the surface do you lay on it naked how do you um, do it no you actually just put it um <laughs> you put it underneath your um you put it on top of your mattress it looks like a yoga mat okay and so you plug it into the wall you put it underneath your mattress and then when you go to bed you hit two buttons and for 30 minutes it will run a low gas current through your body and just and lay on it you'll wake up alkaline every morning every morning that you wake up all of your your red blood cells will be repolarized they'll all be slithering around in in, in your bloodstream you'll have all that surface area for waste elimination for repair for detoxification for exchange with the serum of the blood so healthy for you and if you don't want to drop the money on a pmf mat then wake up and take your shoes off and touch the surface of the earth right i mean i i, I think if you look at some of the you know the um the ancestral books on on, on mankind you'll see that we were really designed to spend more than 85 percent of our time outside we spend 95% of our time indoors right now. In fact, most people spend more than 97% of their time indoors. They go from a covered house to a covered garage to a covered car to a covered office to a covered gym. We mm. just don't expose our, our we, we, you know, we say, well, grandma, don't go outside, it's too hot. Don't go outside, it's too cold. Right. Just lay down, just relax. Eat at the very first pang of hunger. I mean, this is collapsing all of our natural defense mechanisms. That's why things like cold water immersion that we don't want to adapt to that shock the body tap into all of these, you know, primal mechanisms to protect us. You know, we call it hormesis, right? Um, you know, the body gets stressed and it strengthens. So we got to think of some forms of stress as strengthening the body, right? Like cold water immersion. Water is 29 times more thermogenic than air, right? So I know you know all about cold punches, but so water pulls heat out of the body at 29 times the rate of air. That's why you can die in 72 degree water, but you can't die in 72 degree air. But when you shock the body like that, you cause the liver to secrete cold shock proteins. Um, you cause the, you, the activation of brown fat, you know, thermogenesis. And contrary to popular belief, there is a cost to thermogenesis. There is a caloric cost to thermogenesis. So it can actually improve weight loss if you don't increase your caloric intake. It actually helps improve... Um, Insulin sensitivity, it reduces insulin, it reduces um, uh, blood sugar, it actually can improve the, the, the sensitivity of your body to, to blood sugar. It causes a massive vasoconstriction, it forces blood to your core and up to your, up to your brain. I mean, you know how good you feel when you get out of a cold mm -hmm. plunge? It sucks going in, you feel fucking amazing going out. Yeah, I'm religious with it. I, I, I call it my drug of choice. I wasn't kidding when you came in today and you were like... What's up, bro? Can I get you anything? I was like, I was going to ask for a cold plunge. I wasn't fucking with you, dude. I was like, where is the cold plunge? <laughs> yeah, it's out here. Yeah, all right. Well, I may I may ask you if I could jump in when I leave. <laughs> you certainly can. I got it? All right. Yeah, I've gotten my friends to do it now. It's hilarious. Like, uh, they've never done it before. The first time they get it, they barely can give a minute. And now oh, I've got yeah. a bunch of them doing three minutes. Yeah, I mean, well, you got yeah. the, the, the one that circulates while you're, so you can't cheat. Yeah, I have cheat. two different ones. I have the Morosco at home, which gets down to 33 degrees. And then I have the one here that's a little higher. It's in the low 40s. I think it's 43 <clears throat> degrees. But it's you could crank that bitch up like a raging, raging river. That's the blue cube. Mm. You don't get any thermal layer at all. You just suck it you the just, entire time. You just, just can't hide? It just sucks. You oh, just get in there. Dude. It's just... I actually like getting that little thermal layer. Yeah, thermal layer is nice. Because I just this did. one does not. The blue cube does not give you that thermal layer. But you you have the option to lower it. It's like it's variable. Like you could crank it up to a raging river. You could have it just like a, a gentle stream. Okay. Yeah, Either that's one. a man's game with the raging yeah. river on. Oh, it's a motherfucker. Yeah, that's a man's game. Yeah, but um, I still think physically I feel cold. 
colder in the Morosco just because the temperature is quite a bit colder. Yeah, you know, you know I, I haven't seen a lot of evidence that colder is better as longer is better. You but know, it I mean, sucks I more, and that's why I like it. Ah, okay. Uh, well, the there is evidence game. that it sucks worse. Okay. It's the mind game. I like climbing and seeing all the ice and pushing the ice aside. I enjoy that. You do? Yeah, I do. How I long does it take it. you to get to that place where you're like, all right, I'm all right? I do it so often. I do it every day. So for me, it is like brushing my teeth or taking a shower. It's not something I don't do. When do you so do like, it? Like where? It depends. Seconds? Most of the time, I do it first thing in the morning. My r- regular routine is first thing I do is get in there and then work out. So Good. I get in there and then I have a series of body weight routines that I do to heat my body back up. Simple stuff that I'm not going to get hurt with. Like I'll do a hundred push-ups and a hundred body weight squats. Right. And by the time I'm done with those, generally I'm heated up. I do them in sets of twenty. So I'll do twenty push-ups, twenty body weight squats, twenty push-ups, twenty body weight squats. Then I take a little break and then I do it again and then I do it one more time. So it's about ten minutes. Yeah, ten minutes roughly. And okay. so at the end of ten minutes, I'm kind of warm. I'm not sweating, but I'm kind of warmed up a little. And then I'll start my routine. So then I'll do whatever else I'm doing. If it's kettlebells, if it's you know whatever different type of routine that I have set right. for the day. I'm careful if I'm doing um, kickboxing. Like I don't, I, I let myself really warm up before I start blasting. Yeah, because I feel like you especially know, for like yeah, you're so cold. You know, you, warm, yeah. I can't crack a sweat. Like it takes me. Well, like when I do rounds in the bag, even if I do my body weight squats, my my sit ups, my push ups. By the time I get to hitting the bag, I'm still not sweating, you know, because mm. it's so fucking cold. Yeah. And so then I will do like two rounds on the bag. And then by the end of two rounds, then two I- Two easy s- rounds. Two rounds of like- Tapping. I'm tapping it. I'm, yeah. d- I'm moving constantly, but I'm just tapping it. I'm never just rah. I'm yeah. never like going crazy. But then the third round, I start ramping up the power. Mm. And so for the last seven rounds, it's assault. The last seven rounds, it's like it gets now, hard. Now, is this something you do by yourself just on a yes. heavy bag? Okay. Yes. Without a trainer. So no, what's, how long does your training routine take you? Generally two hours. Okay. A, a regular day for me is two hours. So, but it depends. One of the things I do is I use, when it comes to training like with weights and kettlebells, I treat kettlebells like it's a skill. And I think that is uh, something that I learned from Pavel Tatsulin and uh, studying his strong first protocol. Mm-hmm. He, he advocates a long, a long rest period in between workout sets Mm. and more repetitions in terms of volume by virtue of the fact that you have larger rest periods. Mm. And a lot of people feel like they're being lazy when they do that because they're not pushing themselves. But I push myself doing other things. Right, right. So when I'm strength, like, right. So if I'm strength training, like uh, the heaviest kettlebell, occasionally I'll lift a 90-pound kettlebell. I'll do my cleans and presses with a 90. But the vast majority of my work is... Warm-up sets are done with a 35, and it's generally like one-arm swings, both sides, 10 reps, two sets. Then I move into a 50-pound kettlebell, 10 reps, two sides, and then I move to 70. So you're doing single arm with 50 pounds? Yes. Wow. And then when I get – then I do 70 with single Mm. arm. And then when I get to 70 – now I'm moving into clean press, and then I'm moving into windmills, and I'm moving into between the legs, and all that is with 70s. Hmm. And but I take breaks. So like when I do like a set of, so I go do clean presses with 10 pound with uh, 10 reps, 70 pounds. I will wait five minutes hmm. before I do another set. 
five solid minutes. I'll watch TV. I'll fuck around <laughs> on my phone. And I feel like I'm being a lazy piece of shit. Right. But I know I'm not because I'm going to get those. I, I have a routine. So like I have a whiteboard. I oh, write it okay. out. I take a photo on my phone of the whiteboard. So I know that I, you know. Who's programming that for you? Me. You're doing it yourself. I okay. do it myself. Okay. And so over time, I've developed this where I know that if I do it this way, I get pretty significant strength gains. Mm-hmm. And so now when I go to things that I don't do, like bench press and things like that, I'm significantly stronger wow. than I ever was before. But I'm not doing bench press. I don't ever do that. Wow. I don't do it. But I can bang out 225 for 15 reps. And I don't, it's not hard for me to do because I do so much with all these other muscle groups with kettlebells. And are you fasted or are you? Um... Yes. Okay. I, my first workout of the day is fasted. Okay. Yeah. And you don't Unless... even take like an amino acid blend or anything? No, I don't take shit. Okay. But I do take uh, Alpha Brain pre workout, which okay. has got beta alanine, B12, some caffeine. It's fucking woo. That stuff's <laughs> got a lot of. How, How do, do you take about... it? Is it a powder? Yeah. It's a powder that I mix into water. How do you? There's a question I forgot to ask earlier. With electrolytes and with uh, this hydrogen water, is there any incompatibility? No. With, it's no? actually highly compatible. Okay. Um, so electrolytes and, and hydrogen water or even um, amino acids and hydrogen water. And do you um, take those before you work out? Do you take- yeah. I, I work out fasted, but I, I work out fasted and I take um, amino acids. I take a full spectrum amino acid blend. Because branch chain, yeah, acid not brand, just branch BCA. chain. So the branch chains are, the, are are three of the nine. You know, that's the leucine, isoleucine, valine. But the, but I think the branch chain amino acid theory has really been you know debunked now that you just need to take branch chain amino acids, BCAAs before. You right. know, before a workout. The old theory used to be that, well, those are the amino acids that are really metabolized at the, at the muscle level, so they're not cleaved through the liver. But the truth is that you really need a full spectrum amino acid. So you need all, at minimum, all nine of the you know, essential amino you acids. You have all this stuff for sale on your site? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, I'm about to place or, an order. <laughs> <laughs> so when, Joe Rogan's becoming my client now. So when you take that stuff, you mix it with water? Do you... I just mix it with water or um, I, I also take them in capsule form sometimes. I'll take five of them in a capsule form or I'll just mix it with with okay. water. So and I'm telling you, that's a game changer for your workout, brother. Okay. Just try that and it won't break your fast. I'm going to try that. Now, the other thing is electrolytes. Like what, do you, do you have specific electrolytes you use? Do you use a brand? Um, sodium. Well, I'm... I have my own brand of electrolytes. Um, you know, prior to that, I was using LMNT. Um, yeah, I like that stuff. Yeah, I like that stuff, too. I use liquid um, IV, too. But now, uh, liquid IV? Yeah. Yeah. So, you got to watch the cyanocobalamin What's that we that? just talked about. The oh, cyanide base B12. I- that's in liquid IV? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. So watch out. Mm-hmm. But um, um, but hopefully they'll switch that to methylcobalamin. But uh, the, so I make a, uh, I formulated a 10x um health form of of electrolytes but high levels of of sodium um magnesium potassium and and contrary to popular belief i mean so many people are afraid of sodium and we've you know we we've seen blood work on thousands and thousands and thousands of people and you know there have even been clinical studies that show an inverse relationship between sodium and migraine headaches meaning as sodium levels go down the incidence of migraine headaches go up sodium levels go up, the incidence of migraine headaches go down. I'm by no means saying that all migraine headaches are caused by sodium, nor am I saying that everybody that has a sodium sensitivity should take sodium for a migraine headache. I'm well aware that sodium is implicated in cardiovascular conditions and blood pressure. However, when you do a blood test and you see that your sodium levels are low, let's say 134, 135, 136, 137, or 138 in that range on your 
blood test, and almost every blood test that has a comprehensive metabolic panel will give you the sodium level. If you are waking up three, four, five days a month with a headache, or you get regular migraine headaches, watch what happens when you start to add Celtic sea salt to your drinking water or something like, you know, an electrolyte blend that I make or an LMNT to your morning routine. Watch what happens to those headaches. They will eviscerate. Mm. Um, and so, um, you know, most of us are clinically deficient in sodium. You know, there's this theory that, you know, sodium, um, you know, that, that sodium is very dehydrating. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. We are not hydrated when we have water in our blood. We're hydrated when we have water in our tissues. And what determines whether or not water leaves the blood and enters the tissue is the osmotic gradient and so the osmosis, right? So um, if we are deficient in sodium, we have an imbalance in this, in this gradient. And so it's amazing what happens to performance and headaches and migraines when people just add a little bit of sodium to their, to their drinking water. Um, so if you don't want to buy one of these packets, just get Celtic sea salt, which has all kinds of extra, you know, minerals in it. it has none of the uh, potential downside of heavy metals like uh, pink Himalayan sea salt does. So pink Himalayan sea salt is dangerous. Pink Himalayan sea salt's great, but you know, they I, I I saw a study where they actually tested um, uh, several different varieties of pink Himalayan sea salt, and they actually found mercury and heavy metals in in, in a lot of them. They found heavy metals in the pink Himalayan sea salt, never in the Celtic salt. And how are they finding it? Why is it in there? I, I don't know how they're finding it or why it's in there. Like I saw Paul Saladino posted something the other day that showed that uh, half of the chocolate brands that I was eating were had heavy metals in them. Oh, Jesus Christ. I was like, damn, Paul, how, why'd you do that? <laughs> um, I mean, in the really good eco-friendly brands and Human, which was a brand that I loved, had really high levels of metal. And I was like, shit, how did these... How, you know, I, I only eat the really, really high percentage cow cow ones mm -hmm. um, once in a while, but they seem to have high amounts of heavy metals. The Celtic sea salt, which is inexpensive, is probably the best salt you can put in the body by, really? by far. Yeah. And why is it Celtic sea salt? Like what is specific about that stuff? Well, because the, it's because of the mineral content in it, right? And, and you know, there are 92 minerals that human beings need. There are, there are the, you know, three essential fatty acids that we need. There's nine essential amino acids that we need. Um, there is no such thing, by the way, as an essential carbohydrate. I get in debates with people about this all the time. Carbohydrates are necessary for life. And I'm like, well, then name an essential carbohydrate because it doesn't exist. We have essential fatty acids. We have essential amino acids and we have essential nutrients. Um, but carbohydrates are not necessarily for necessary for life. I'm not saying everybody needs to be on a keto diet by any means either, but they are not necessary for life. We can sustain, sustain very prolonged periods of time without carbohydrate intake that's why when you choose your carbohydrates you should choose them very wisely you know mm. like you know berries natural honeys things like that so what you did with dana white the first yep. thing you did was you got him on a ketogenic diet yeah i put him on what i called a, a prescription ketogenic diet yeah. which meant that i wrote a diet right down to his grocery list and said dana if it's not on this list you cannot eat it like you have zero leeway. We're going to take away all your free choice for 12 weeks, right? I mean, aside from water, um, if it's not on this list, here's the week one grocery list. You're going to go to the grocery store. You're going to buy this. You're going to make this. Week two, you're going to go to the grocery store and buy this and make that. And so, he, you know, he gave that, gave that to a chef. Um, and then we, lo um, we used uh, a, a very potent Pisces form of resveratrol. Um, we started— um, What is that word, Pisces? Pisces. 
form of resveratrol. It's a special extraction method for resveratrol that hyper-concentrates the resveratrol. Really, you know, resveratrol is kind of um, known for its you know, effect on telomere lengthening, you know, on telomerase. Mm -hmm. So, and telomeres are kind of a measure of your biological age. And, um, but Piceid resveratrol, a very specific... Sp spell that? P-I-C-I-E-D. Piceid. I-E-D. Piceid, yeah. Resveratrol. Okay. Um, uh, I think I have a link to it on my Instagram as well. God damn it, iPhone. You try to change the... It autocorrect. Oh, yeah, yeah. It does. Say it again. P-I-C. P-I-C-I-E-D. Piceid. Okay. There you go. Piceid resveratrol. There it is. Um, uh, look, reduced viability of tumor cells through the cell cycle, arrest and apoptosis in induction. With that, Piceid resveratrol did not induce the apoptosis concentration. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. Piceid resveratrol better than get... resveratrol. What does it say there? Showing higher scavenging activity against hydroxyl radicals See, than resveratrol. They did. both exhibited the capacity of scavenging um, hydroxyl radicals. So mm. Pisces showed higher scavenging activity against hydroxyl radicals than resveratrol. Did. And where would someone get that? Um, I've got a link to the one that I take on my, uh, you know, on my Instagram if they want to. I, I put everything that I take on there, and people can just go. And where go do you get yours? I get it from Vinya Resveratrol. Um, and, um, it's a, uh, I actually had the CEO of the company and their lead, um, uh, their lead PhD on, on, on my podcast. He's a, a guy from, uh, Johns Hopkins and it is, it is astounding. Yeah. It is astounding. The, um, the clinical outcomes that, you know, we see in, in, in patients that we put on this stuff, I mean, increased circulation in the brain, the, you know, Renaud syndrome and circulation and even peripheral neuropathies that are related to um, to circulation seem to eviscerate. So are you I, taking this with food or no food? I take it on an empty stomach. Is that how you're supposed to take it or can you take it with you food? You can take it with food. It doesn't matter? It mm -mm. okay. doesn't matter. So I, we, we put, put, put Dana on a Pisces resveratrol, put him on a, because uh, people are always like, tell me exactly what he did. Um, you know, he is, he's on hormone therapy. He's been very vocal about that. He's not on growth hormone. He's not on DECA. He's not on Anadvar. He's not on Nandrolone. He's not on anabolic steroids. You know, there's a lot of nonsense about that on the on the web, too. Um, and then he went on a strict, you know, ketogenic diet. He did get a red light therapy bed. He did get a PMF mat. He did start doing cold plunging, and he does use something called Hypermax, multi-step oxygen therapy. Again, all of which you can do for no cost, just what we talked about earlier. And um, and he got really regimented about it. Um, he didn't drink. We cut all the white flour, white rice, white bread, white pasta, white flour completely out of his diet. Um, and sugars of all kinds, which you can't have on a keto diet anyway. One of the interesting things about putting your body into a state of ketosis is that um, and I'm kind of surprised that Paul Saladino doesn't talk about this because he's big, you know, he's he's obviously the carnivore diet, um, but grass-fed meats and grass-fed animal products, eggs and dairy, um, when these fats are broken down and turned into water in the Krebs cycle, what happens is it produces a type of water in the cell called deuterium-depleted water. If you really want to blow your mind sometime, look up deuterium-depleted water. 
It is astounding the number of pathologies and diseases that are linked to deuterium water. Deuterium water is, you know, water is two, two hydrogens and one oxygen. But when you actually have an extra neutron, which doesn't sound like a big deal molecularly, when you have an extra neutron, what happens is when that water molecule enters, enters the Krebs cycle, it breaks the Krebs cycle. It actually wrecks the mitochondrial metabolism. When you eat a diet high in, in um, grass-fed uh, animal fats, um, eggs, dairy, um, fatty fish, the type of water that the body creates is called deuterium-depleted water. It's light water. It is actually more efficient. It doesn't break the mitochondria. Do you know that a human, that our bodies produce about 100 gallons of intracellular water every day? And when I say that, people freak out. They're like, that's impossible. Um, I only drink a half a gallon of water. So how does my body produce a gallon of water? You produce water inside your cells the same way we produce it in space. You take two hydrogens, one oxygen, you put them together, you have a water molecule. You're not capable of drinking enough water in two weeks to power your mitochondria for 50 minutes, right? You have to create intracellular water. So we take these gases, we put them together, we create cellular water, and then we break it apart and inside of the Krebs cycle. So when that water becomes heavy, deuterium, some of the water that's entering that Krebs cycle starts to break the Krebs cycle and reduce its efficiency. When that water is light, like when it's generated um, when you're in ketosis or from grass-fed um, animal fats, um, eggs, dairy, things like that, the um, or actually uh, even, even, even plant-based fats like uh, uh, shelled hemp seeds, that water is light. And when it powers the mitochondria, it doesn't break any of, of the Krebs cycle. And deuterium-depleted water is now being used in cancer treatments, in all kinds of oncology treatments for difficult-to-treat cancers like glioblastomas and other things. Um, so I, I, look, look up deuterium-depleted water. You'll, you'll just be blown away by how much evidence there is for how healthy this type of light water is for us. You can also buy it and drink it, but it's retardedly expensive. You might as well have your body produce it by, by eating healthy, saturated animal fats from grass-fed sources. So you put them on this uh, prescribed ketogenic diet, yep. and what were the foods And so other than grass-fed meat? Um, so he ate meat, fish, chicken, eggs, avocado, coconut oil, olive oil, nuts. Um, basically, I said, there are, um, there's going to be five oils in your kitchen, um, grass-fed butter or ghee butter, a tallow or coconut oil um, for cooking, period. So we only had tallow, grass-fed butter, ghee butter, or coconut oil, and those were for cooking. The only oil that he used at room temperature was olive oil. We didn't use that for cooking, but we used an extra virgin olive oil. So so that we made sure that he didn't get into a dirty keto diet, right? Because there are a lot of fats and fried foods and, and seed oils that you could drink, you know, eat that would be keto, right? right? But they would be what I would call dirty keto. Okay. Um, and then uh, we also put him on a peptide. Um, at the time, it was a growth hormone peptide, sermorlin and ipamorlin. Um, one is a GHRP, a growth hormone-releasing a peptide. The other one is a GHRH, a growth hormone releasing hormone. We use these in combination to make sure that when you take this at night to try to capture that circadian pulse of growth hormone, that you stimulate both the hypothalamus and the pituitary 
just in the off chance that your pituitary had recently secreted growth hormone, we could actually override that negative feedback loop and make sure that every time that he took it, he got a, a secretion of nighttime growth hormone because I also wanted to deepen, um, you know, deepen his sleep. Then I went aggressively after the inflammation um, with one of the products I make myself, which is called 10X Brain and Immune Boost. But I also put him on a mycelized turmeric and curcumin drops. So these are nanoparticle turmeric and curcumin with bioaloe that you put under the tongue that go right into the bloodstream and immediately knock down inflammation. For like people that have problems um, urinating because their prostate is swollen, you, you, a few drops of mycelized turmeric and curcumin and that problem just, you know, eviscerates. So I was really aggressive after inflammation and circulation. Um, I didn't actually have him exercising intensely at first because, um, you know, with with insulin resistance and being pre-diabetic and, and just two or three tenths of a point away from being actually diabetic, um, with a triglyceride level at, at that life-threatening level and um, also having that abdominal adiposity and then very severe hypertension with this very elevated hyperhomocystinemia. Then I put him on a 10X multivitamin. It's called Optimize. It's, a, it's actually a vitamin I designed myself. It took me about two and a half years to get all the methylated nutrients into the right formulation so that I could address all of these genetic breaks that he had, one of which was particularly his inability to methylate homocysteine. So I put him on a vitamin called 10X Optimize that I formulated myself, and then I got uh, trimethylglycine. I think I got that from Life Extension, but I got trimethylglycine. He took two capsules of trimethylglycine in the morning. And I'm telling you, Joe, week over week over week, if you ask him, he will tell you every week my average blood pressure reading started to come down. Every week. Each week my sleep score started to marginally improve. I wasn't sleeping longer. I started sleeping more deeply. Every week, my body fat percentage began to drop, and I was muscle protecting him with a peptide so he wouldn't so he wouldn't muscle waste. He would just fat waste because most people, when they say I want to lose weight, they really mean I want to lose fat, mm -hmm. right? They don't mean I just want to lose weight. Right. This is the problem with Ozempic and Terzepatide and, and and Wagovi and a lot of these other other drugs is they they don't put the patient on a peptide to protect the muscle. So a third of the weight that they lose is lean muscle mass. If we put them on a peptide with some of these weight loss drugs that would protect their muscle and they'd, they'd have a propensity to lose more fat and they'd still get all the benefits of the blood sugar control and everything else. And and week over week, we used data. Um, I pulled his uh, blood 10 weeks later. His triglyceride levels were in the 300s. He was down uh, over 25, 28 pounds, I think. His blood pressure was already normalizing. Um, by week five, um, my clinical team, again, I'm not licensed to practice medicine, but Dr. Sarda had titrated him down off of all of his cardiovascular medication. So he was completely off his cardiovascular medication. He was completely off of the blood thinner. He was off of the diuretic um, that he was on. He was off of one other medication that he was on. I forget what he was taking. But he was completely off of all medications. Blood pressure was normal. He was down um, 48 pounds. Um, wow. uh, he was sleeping the deepest he'd ever slept in his entire life. The whites of his eyes um, cleared up. His homocysteine had gone from in the 30s down to the single digits. Um, he'd gone from being uh, diabetic, almost insulin dependent, to now normopathic blood sugar. He'd gone from hyper um, insulinemic to, 
to normal levels of blood sugar. His hemoglobin A1C had normalized. His thyroid had stabilized. That was the other thing. I think he was on thyroid medication. Uh, his thyroid had stabilized. It was astounding what happened to his blood work. Wow. And, and he and I went, actually went on to Instagram, and he was like, man, you get so much hate online. You know? And I'm like, well, it's because I'm not a doctor. I don't tell people I'm a doctor. And he's like, but he's like, we should do a, we should, we should do a post and, and just throw my blood work out there. And let people try to poke holes in it because here's where we started, here's where we ended. So we did it, and we threw his blood work up on there, and we just we showed where did his insulin start, where did it end, where does triglyceride start, where did it end? If what you did to him was available as a pharmaceutical medication, it'd be the most popular thing available. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. If there he was something down. that they sold from Pfizer that you could just inject into somebody that would provide those results, holy yeah. shit, everybody'd be lined up to take it, dude. And now he, fe- he feels like he's 25 years old again. Yeah, he looks fantastic. Yeah. I mean, he looks he he looks amazing. He's driving his staff up a wall. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. All that inflammation went down in his nasopharynx too. He got off the CPAP machine, mm. and he had tinnitus in his ear. He'd had tinnitus for decades. Yeah, and the tinnitus was gone. Wow. So no tinnitus, no sleep apnea, no cardiovascular medication. I'm actually a very very close with his cardiothoracic surgeon now, Doctor uh, Dan Delia from from Cedar Sinai. Um, he and I, have, you know, work worked on some other things together. Um. You know, his, his, his UFC medical director, Dr. Davidson, is, you know, part-time joining our clinical team now because, like, all of these allopathic physicians have, have said, wow, I mean, like, this just really worked. I mean, when you, have, when you have data to show what works, not just the subjective data, oh, I look better, I feel better, I sleep better. Right. When you have real objective data, you're, you're almost an insulin-dependent diabetic, and now you have normopathic blood sugar on your own. Mm. Um, you know, had hypertriglyceridemia, and now it's normal. When your HDL cholesterol was floored out, now it's in the upper end of the range, and your LDL cholesterol is normal. Like you, you, you can't fake those numbers, right? You know, and the same thing happened with the thyroid because, you know, he thought he had hypothyroid, which a lot of people think they have, because, you know, the thyroid produces these two hormones, right? It produces T4 and it produces T3, um, and the majority of the time when when hypothyroid is diagnosed, we diagnose it because it, uh, people have low T3. Right? But the little-known fact about the thyroid is that it only produces 20% of the T3 in your blood. So the question is, where does the other 80% of thyroid hormone T3 come from? Because when it's low, we still medicate the thyroid. I mean, you want to talk about a pandemic. We have a pandemic in this country of holding organs responsible for crimes they're not committing and then pounding them with medication and, and, and chemicals. So if you look at the thyroid, and this happened in Dana's case too, he had low T3. So... You know, again, the question is, where does the rest of the T3 hormone come from? Well, it is methylated from T4. We take T4 and we and we break it down into T3. And this happens in the gut, right? So low T3 is not usually a problem with the thyroid. It's usually a problem with methylation in the gut. And so when he got on that 10X Optimize, when he started taking the B-complex and the, the specific form of B12, the trimethylglycine and methylfolate, that's what he was on, it turned the methylation cycle back on. He started breaking T4 down into T3. Then T3 hormone rose back into the normal range. And he was like, holy shit, dude, you fixed my thyroid. And I go, no, no, I didn't fix your thyroid. I fixed your methylation in your gut, which occurs outside of the thyroid. Yes, mm. you were on thyroid medication, but you that, that organ was being held responsible for a crime it wasn't committing. Mm. So we didn't actually fix the thyroid. And there's there's... Millions of people listening to this podcast right now that have been diagnosed with hypothyroid. That's me. Back into your, dude, we should, we should do that. Yeah, I want to do it. We're going to do the test. Okay. Um, and 
I'll, co- I'll come back in a week and a half and I'll read the results and without knowing anything about you and it'll blow your mind what I can tell you about yourself. Mm. How you think, how you go to bed, how you wake up, what your short-term recall is like, um, you know, what's going on in your blood work without seeing your blood work, you know, your your family medical history, whether or not a mother or father has hypertension or hypothyroid because we have just been fed this nonsense that so much disease and pathology is, is passed from generation to generation. And the sad thing is if, if I can get you to subscribe to the fact that you have a disease, I can get you to subscribe to a lifetime of medication. Right. Right? But if it's a nutrient deficiency, well, then I supplement a client into no longer being a client, mm. right? And, and and that's why I want to spend the balance of my lifetime t- telling people, like, how do you find the raw material that's missing in your body? How do you put it back and go on about your life? At least that is a starting point, right? And it's astounding how many pathological conditions or conditions that we call consequences of aging we are just accepting as consequences of aging, not realizing that they are nutrient deficiencies in the body. But listen, dude, this is what we're going to do. Okay. We're going to do that test on me. I'm okay. buying one of those fucking light beds. Okay. I'm going to get a gang of these supplements, <laughs> and we're going to see what's up. And then yeah, let's I'll have do you it. come back on, I'd and we'll see what my results are and how much different things. Because I'm pretty 100%. fit. I'm pretty oh, no, healthy. You're, you're, you're fit. I work out hard. I've, I have no problem with energy. I'm, right. I'm constantly going. I do a lot of stuff. But I would always like to improve, yeah. and, and I'm never satisfied. So Neither. if I'm in this state right now, and maybe there's a bunch of shit that I could fix, mm-hmm. particularly I'm excited about this idea that hypothyroidism is something that could be fixed because I've always been told that it's not, mm-hmm. that it's something that you just have, it's genetic, someone else in your family has it, you, yeah. you're, you're fucked. Next time somebody tells you you have a genetically inherited condition, look the doctor right in the eye and say, what gene did I inherit? Mm. From my ancestor that causes this condition. I don't want to cause any conflict. <laughs> yeah, the last thing you I want to do is not cause... go to that doctor. Well, that's yeah. one of the things that Dana said. He'll never go to a doctor yeah. ever again for general health after his experiences with you because it's just been so life changing. Yeah. I mean, just unequivocally. I mean, if you just look at his results and me as a good friend of his, seeing him before, well, I was always kind of worried about him. He's always so stressed out. He never fucking sleeps. He's always going, and he, you know, he looked unhealthy, and now he looks fucking great. I know he's <clears throat> ripped. He's got a six pack. He's got all this energy. And people are like, he so paid that thinner. guy millions of dollars. I'm like, I wish he paid me millions <laughs> of dollars. <laughs> well, I don't think. Um, I think this information is super, super valuable. And thank I think you. it's hard to digest all of it, so I'd encourage everybody to do what I did and write a bunch of shit down. But <laughs> so we'll do this again, and when we do it again, we'll do it after I follow this protocol, and we'll see what's up. Sounds amazing, dude. I'm Gary, super you're the pumped. fucking man. Thank, Thank you. you. This is really educational. I really, really appreciate I it. I super appreciate you, Thanks too. Thanks for coming. Uh, tell everybody your website, social media, all that stuff, where to go to. Yeah, sure. So you can find me on uh, social media at Gary Brecca. It's just my first and last name. Um, and Or you can go to theultimatehuman.com. Uh, this is my podcast, theultimatehuman.com. And on there, you can see the 10X Health Genetic Test, um, all the supplements that I manufacture myself. You can get any of those supplements. You can even do the gene test. Um, from there. All right. right. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate you. It's awesome. Goodbye, everybody. Stay healthy, bitches. Stay healthy, bitches. (laughs) 